Hello, hello, welcome to the Eddie Conversation podcast, episode number 16. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. On my podcast, I like to dive into these extended conversations and push for more nuance and really get into these different processes and worlds that I'm not really too familiar with. Or sometimes I am. It depends. <laughs> the guests that I have I find interesting, and I hope you do too. And also remember, this weekly podcast is available in video form as well. If you do want to watch along versus just listen, you can find it on YouTube. You can just search the Eddie Conversation podcast there to find that. Leave a review, subscribe if you enjoy listening. And without further ado, let's jump into it. Episode number 16 featuring Grace Amodio. <laughs> Thanks for thanks for coming out. And uh, <laughs> are you going to be in the sun? We're the literally time? <laughs> outside. For those not watching the video, um, you are Grace Amodio. I'm Grace Amodio. You are a program manager at Shift. Correct. And um, would you like to explain for us maybe what that is, sure. or if there's anything else to you that we should know? Up oh, front? there's so much to me, but I'll start with yeah program manager at Shift. Um, So Shift is a software company by and large. So um, we have a suite of products that help people make films and movies and television shows and commercials. Um, And what I do at Shift mostly is manage our grant program. So Mm. I know we'll we'll dive into that, Mm -hmm. but we have a a grant program for filmmakers that we run every year. And I... uh, manage that program as well as do a lot of our events. I host our podcast. I do a lot of uh, marketing and outreach work here at Shift. So we're trying to reach filmmakers, content creators, advertisers, anybody that makes video content. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's who we work with. Okay. That's a great start. And I know like we talked, I guess I just want to lay out up front too, like your Oh, <laughs> so you will hear maybe some effects. <laughs> there is someone dragging a trash can we nearby. at the shift headquarters. <laughs> it sounds like they're slowly getting further away. That should be fine. All right, <laughs> so um, the thing that I liked about you as well was that you come from the filmmaker background, yeah. so you're not just outreaching for the sake of outreaching to understand a filmmaker. You have... Uh, Totally. You've you've been through. I don't know. I don't really like to call it the trenches, but it is kind of. I I I mean that's really why I was hired to do the work that I do is because um, I am a filmmaker. I, mm-hmm. I went to film school. I um, am a graduate of Emerson College in Boston. Lived in Boston for many years, mm. um, and worked mostly as a producer. You know, freelance producer on independent projects feature films and short films and music videos and commercials and like everybody, like any job you can get, you take. So I totally come, I totally come from the production world. And that was both in New York and? That was in Boston and Los Angeles where we are now. So I went to film school in Boston and then after graduating stayed in Boston for Mm. years, uh, five or six years after graduation. And then about five years ago, came out to LA. So, film work was mostly in Boston, 
because that was where I went to school. That's where I knew all of yeah. the film friends that I had and all of the uh, fellow film students that I worked with. And then after graduation, continued working in filmmaking, produced a lot of independent stuff, eventually came out to L.A., um, continued working out here. Mm -hmm. um, all of my friends from Boston had preceded me by about five years. So when, when we all graduated college, they all came here. They made the jump right away. And I stayed. Mm -hmm. So when we did eventually move out to Boston, my fiance and I, who's also a filmmaker, um, we already had a group here who had been here for five or six years and they were able to kind of take us in and get us into the group. And some of them had already joined unions and mm -hmm. some of them were freelancing. Some of them weren't working in film anymore. Everyone had kind of landed here in one way or the other. So when I arrived, it was really lucky that I kind of already had a, a community yeah. out here. But two years later, three years later, I stopped freelancing and um, started working here at Shift. And that's, like you said, that's why they hired me was because I was a filmmaker. And I knew what it meant to make an independent film. And I knew what it meant to make a low budget film. And they, you know, they wanted to do a program like this and they wanted someone with actual filmmaking yeah. experience to manage it. And now three years later, still doing it. Yeah, here you are. Here we so, are. All right, so one thing I wanted to, I guess, I, I say let's just jump into it right away. Yeah. It's, the, uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the big one um, that, I don't know, it's a weird thing about the film industry that I'm sure most filmmakers people are getting into it. There's always this like allure or this like veil of uh, mystery of mm -hmm. how everything works on the inside from like in every aspect of it. Like I know I just like, for instance, went through like a nice indie distribution side of things where before you go through it, you're like, oh my gosh, how does it work? Yeah. So grants, for me, I, I was going to, I guess, lay out my experience on the first. <laughs> Uh, I'm very curious. And I'll say right off the bat that before I started doing this yeah, work, I, I am I was not a grant maker, mm -hmm. nor was I like a grant applicant. Right. I was a filmmaker. Yeah. So I I come to grant making literally just as a filmmaker. So right, there right. are lots of grants out there that like have been around for decades and they're run by these huge nonprofit corporations like I, I really built this thing from the ground up. So I'm really curious to hear your sure. experience in the grant world. Um, yeah, I was going to say I have very limited experience. <laughs> yeah. Like from my perspective, kind of, I guess one thing that we're probably going to get into is like when you think about, I want to make a film. Yeah. And ideally you could pay people to like pay talented people to come on to and, you you. Can, and you can do things the right way and have the help and all yeah. that kind of stuff. You're like, all right, where do I get money from? You look at your options and you hear about grants are a thing, but I've like, I don't recall ever hearing of anybody receiving a grant or if I, if I have, it feels like it's from like Canada and the mm -hmm. government supplies. It seems like a lot of filmmakers make film in Canada. Yeah. Through it's grants, cheap. so so uh, I never, as an independent producer, it's very hard to put. Certain, it takes a lot of effort on just that one side. Yeah. So the latest experience I had was I tried. I, I produced my first feature a couple of years ago, self-produced, and I had a co-producer that like her job was like, all right, 
submit to some grants and yeah. see what happens. Yeah. But I wasn't a part of that. And then I, I think the closest we got was like, oh, this one grant will kind of help walk you through a crowdfunding process and right. stuff like that. But other than that, I have no idea. And I've just avoided it because it feels like the odds are insurmountable. Yeah. Um, how? How? <laughs> what? Those I, are questions. You, you wouldn't be wrong in that the odds, I, I'm not going to use the word insurmountable because that's <laughs> not true. The odds are tough. You say they feel. They feel insurmountable, and I think that's totally fair. And I will say that even in the program that I manage, let's let's put it this way: we are giving away money. We have a certain amount of money to give. Mm -hmm. The number of people that want that money is a thousand times higher than the money that I have to give. So, if we're talking about odds. It's tough. Yeah, one in a thousand. One in a thousand. Yeah, that's a little right. less. As, a, as an example. As an example, uh, for our particular program, and and the numbers change every year depending on how many people apply and how much money mm -hmm. we have. Generally speaking, we award three grants, two to three grants out of six or seven hundred applicants. And then, okay. So it it's. I, I, when when I'm talking to people about it, especially people who are like, oh, I didn't win, or how likely is it that I'll win, I'll say, you have a 99.5% chance of, of not winning. So the odds are not good. <laughs> sure. sure, I get, all right. I, there's a lot to, to talk about with grants. <laughs> there's a lot. I want, why, let's, let's talk about why, why would a filmmaker want to submit for what, is a grant intended to fund an entire project or is there to help jumpstart projects or I, cause I don't even know. Totally. Yeah. So the shift creative fund, the grant that I manage is intended to fully fund a short film project. Mm -hmm. And I can tot we can get into that, yeah. which is a different question as to why we decided to support short films. If you're a documentary filmmaker, if you're a filmmaker um, belonging to a certain group or speaking about a certain issue, there are really specific grants out there that you can take advantage of. We wanted to just do short film, narrative short film, mm -hmm. period. <laughs> how, do you, how would you describe a short film? Technically speaking, it's anything under 40 minutes. Mm. Um, I still think that's pretty long. Uh, as a filmmaker, you always want to be thinking about programming. You want to be thinking about festivals. You mm -hmm. want to be thinking about distribution. You want to be thinking about who might actually showcase the work, in which case you want to be thinking like 20 minutes and under. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to get into festivals, if you want to be programmed into an hour-long slot where they're showing four or five films, you're not going to have a 40-minute film. Oscar qualification standards, anything under 40 minutes yeah. is a short film. Yeah. So we looked at kind of the landscape and we're like, <laughs> first thing is short films do not make money, period. Mm -hmm. You, anyone that's listening to this that thinks I'm going to make a short film and I'm going to sell it, you're not. Mm -hmm. You so might be able to distribute it. It's a stepping stone. It's a showcase of talent. It's a showcase. It's a, it's a, it's a resume piece. Mm -hmm. It is a proof of concept. It experience. shows experience. It shows your talent, it shows what you're able to do, maybe you can get distribution, maybe you get in a festival. It is very, very, very unlikely you're making you can, money. You can leverage it to make your feature, all totally. that Totally. And, and I would argue that not only can you do that, but like you should do that. Mm -hmm. 
if you're a filmmaker that wants to make a feature film, you should make a short film first. For your own practice, <laughs> mm -hmm. you should be making short films. So knowing that as a filmmaker, the first step in most filmmaker journeys is a short film. They never make any money back. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever wants to fund them because they don't make any money. And that's the exact reason why we said, here's where the most mm -hmm. need is. Mm -hmm. Short films are really important and short films are underfunded. So we are going to fund short films. And, and that's why we... And I, I assume, is there is there a part of it where you can fund more projects if you aim towards shorts versus it would take more money to fund a feature just based... Technically, that is so like, correct, so yeah. So like we could do three shorts versus one, one feature. feature. And we're... It never... that That is true, though I, I'll be honest and say that wasn't part of the conversation. <laughs> okay. Because shorts... Yeah, yeah. Was... Features are like... It's a lot more money. It's a lot more resources. It's a lot more risk in terms of like mm -hmm. if this does or doesn't go well, it's it's just a lot bigger. And feature films make money. Not always. Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying it's easy, but feature films are something you can sell and distribute mm -hmm. and give to a student. Like, like there are options for feature films to get funding and make money in ways that we just felt shorts were yeah. needed more. It was more needed for us to sh support short films. Mm -hmm. And a side effect of that was we can support more, but that wasn't okay. the reason. Okay. It wasn't the reason. Gotcha. And, um, man, I lost my train of thought. I didn't even answer your question, which was... <laughs> How? The answer to your question is we fully support okay. films with full production grants, meaning I want to give you all the money you need to make your film. Many, many, many other grant programs give you partial funding, in-kind donations, mm -hmm. meaning we'll give you a camera package, we'll give you a lighting package, we'll give you software that's worth Excellent, X amount yeah. of dollars, um, small pieces of funding. So I think it's actually pretty rare to have a grant that gives you all of the funding. Most of the time you're piecemealing it together mm -hmm. with a little bit of grant here, a little bit of kickstarting there, a check from my uncle here, yeah, and yeah. everyone's gonna work for free. Mm -hmm. And what we wanted to do with our grant was say, if you win this grant, here is the check. So I guess the question becomes, which I remember where I wanted to ask, yeah. was, like you said, technically a short could be under 40 minutes. Yeah. So hypothetically speaking, as an applicant, like my, my, th my, my gut thought was that the grant is for a, 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 an amount that's, that's listed and ideally the project you're pitching t for that grant fits within the parameters that you're presenting, not the other way around where you like, all right, I want I have this right. action sci-fi 35-minute right. short. It's going to be 1.5 million. Right. And that's what you're, you're like, <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do okay. that. Right. So, so and the short answer is it's complicated because it's changed. Every We've done this for three mm -hmm. years now, and every year it's changed. The amounts change or the way the money? Both. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about. So what, I can take the, you through the, 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 the All right. <laughs> chronology of how it's changed. And then, and then you'll get into this year? Yeah, so okay. this year is, is something totally new. I'll say that when we, we've done three new, three new things in, in three different years. The first year, it was a set amount. Mm -hmm. 
the grant was 40,000, 30,000, 40,000. I don't okay. remember. It was three years ago. Mm -hmm. It was a set amount. We have three grants and they are each $40,000, mm -hmm. period. If your film only needs 20, you're getting 40. Mm -hmm. If your film needs 1.2 million, you're getting 40. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, that was our first year. Uh -huh. um, in the second year, learning from the first year, I said, let's not do that. Let's say, you tell me what you need. Can we go, yeah. let's say, all right, uh, first year, yeah. when you said um, we took what we learned, what did you learn? I learned that when I said this grant is for $40,000, how much money do you need? I asked them to submit a budget, one just for my own as a producer i want to see where they're spending their money i want to make sure they doing are homework. spending are doing their homework spending their money correctly that it's feasible if you come to me with a script that is a baseball arena and a guy comes in on a helicopter and jumps down and then there's a huge fight sequence and you tell me you're going to do that for forty thousand dollars i'm going to call bs on that mm -hmm. and say show me the numbers so I asked filmmakers to submit a budget, even in that first year, mm -hmm. even though the amount was what the amount was. Sure, it's plenty of money, yeah. It's plenty of money for most films. What I learned in the first year was, when I said the grant is $40,000, how much money do you need? Everyone said $40,000. Duh. I painted them into that corner. Mm -hmm. Whether they needed 10 or 80, they were gonna say 40. Mm -hmm. And mm. they were gonna make the budget work for a $40,000 film. And it was fine. We produced three fantastic films. Yeah. They were great. They all spent exactly $40,000 so, and it was fine. So they all followed through with making the films. They all made the film that they needed to make. I think I, I, I think some of them did get a little bit of funding from elsewhere, which we are totally fine sure. with. If you want to apply to another grant, if you have a connection, if you have a Kickstarter and you're raising an extra $10,000 mm -hmm. to make up that difference, that's all fine. But what ended up happening was I said, I have a grant for $40,000. How much do you need? And they would hand me a budget for $39,999.99. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But what I learned was what I would rather do is say, tell me how much you need. Don't make me a budget that says $40,000. Yeah. Make me a real budget <laughs> mm -hmm. that says, here's what I need. It feels like um, the price is right. Totally. Mm -hmm. And I would read those budgets and I was like, looking back on it, it's like, of course. When I say you're getting $40,000, how much do you need? The answer is $40,000. Yeah, like, yeah. again, and, and this is coming at it. I, I was not a grant maker before this. I was a filmmaker. Yeah. So every year as we've built and launched this grant and we, we get to learn year after year. So that was my first year's lesson was... Can I, can I guess what, <laughs> what happened second year? Yeah. Um, I would say that an approach to try would be to not disclose what the amount is and then see what they submit for and you can kind of swipe away the two big ones or, or whatever totally. the thought process is on that. Is, yeah, that's uh, essentially what we did. Okay. I gave them a little more information in saying, look, 
try to keep your budgets under 50. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we won't support something that's $52,000. I'm not saying we can't. I'm saying you are much more likely to be successful if you submit me a budget that's under 50000 okay. Because hmm. I have a lot of sympathy and respect for how much time it takes to apply to a grant. I have no interest in wasting your time. If you have a $150,000 project and you're spending hours and hours and days putting together a really extensive application and I just say, nope, too much. Yeah. I think that's not fair. So what I essentially said was, tell us what you need. Submit a budget, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Try to stay under 50. That's just me giving you a sense of where we're at. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of scripts that were over 50. We funded a film that was over 50 because it was so good and so worth it. Mm -hmm. And some of the other films we funded were a lot less money. Some, some only asked for 15. So I'm able to now play with the budget that we have to say, cool, this person only needs 15. That means I can support this one that's 55 and the math is all going to work out. So I didn't want to discourage mm -hmm. anyone mm -hmm. from... Gotcha, if your gotcha. film is over 50000 do not apply. Yeah. But here's kind <laughs> of the ballpark where sure. we're working. So it was a little bit of both where it said, tell me what you need. Try to keep it under fifty. And what happened is we got a bunch of scripts that only needed $10,000. We got a bunch of scripts that needed 20, 25, 30. We got a bunch of scripts that asked for 50, 60, 70. We can go into this, but, but the next phase of this process is now we start reading, we start evaluating, we start picking our favorites. Yeah. And that's when we start doing some math, like read all of the applications, read all of the scripts, don't even look at the budget, just read the script. Mm -hmm. The best ones float to the top. These are the ones we're super excited about. Now let's get out our calculators and say, okay, here's our 10 favorite. Here's how much money we have. Here's our 10 favorite based off just the stories alone. Just the stories and scripts. And then we'll look at the... Then we'll look at the budgets. Oh, okay. Then we'll look at the budgets. We look at the full application. So the full application, uh, it's a script, it's a treatment, it's examples of your previous work, it's a director's statement. Yeah, because I, I, I... It's a lot. So I, I suppose people may be interested in how an application is filtered. So... Step one is look through the application itself, and you might filter stuff out just based on application if it's not filled out properly. I don't, like, I don't know what the things may be. That's but. pretty rare. Like, I'm not going to throw your application out because you didn't type in your address correctly or something. Like, but If you don't answer questions. Or if you, you don't, don't put answer any questions. Like, it's kind of just like five minutes thrown together. It's pretty easy to see who's taking it seriously mm -hmm. and who's not. And there mm -hmm. are certainly instances where you, you look at an application, and within a few minutes you're like, this either just isn't the caliber that I'm looking for. This person isn't taking it seriously. This person isn't being very thoughtful. So what? What are some? <laughs> it's, okay. it's so Sorry. hard. Okay, it's never so mind. Hard. Never mind. Never mind. No, uh, I'm okay, happy. Sure. I, it's. Let me but, let me talk about the logistics, which is I. It's not just me. Mm -hmm. I bring in a team of readers every year when we get to the application reading process. I've got usually five or six people that work with me. People that work in filmmaking, screenwriting, producing, that have mm -hmm. a similar history, know what it means 
to actually make a film. Yeah. Um, because that's part of it. Like I said, if you are not a filmmaker and you read a script where there's a baseball stadium and a helicopter, you might think, that's really cool. A producer will think, you're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, how yeah. Are you, or prove to me that you're going to be able to do that. So I, I bring in readers who have a production background and have a screenwriting background. And I would imagine that every reader kind of has their own process. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, another thing I learned in the first year, I would read the whole application first, which would include a logline and a mm -hmm. synopsis mm -hmm. and a director's statement and examples of your previous work. And I would look at all of that stuff and then I would open the script and read it. And I don't think that was the best way to do it. I think that I should have opened the script first and read the script and mm -hmm. then gone back and looked at all the supplemental materials. Mm -hmm. um, every reader that I work with, I think, I mean, we're reading hundreds and hundreds of applications. So if everyone kind of gets in their own groove, maybe you open the script first. Maybe you open the treatment first mm -hmm. and take a look at the treatment okay. and try to get a sense of the world and then you open the script. Maybe you read the director's statement and try to get a sense of the person and then you open the script. Maybe you just read the script. And if the script is bad, you don't read anything else. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's a very personal process. Every script gets read by at least two people. So even if you read it and say, this is stupid, I'm throwing it away, it, it will always get a second chance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to be read by at least somebody else. Um, we have a rating system, a scoring system. This was good, this was bad, I liked this, but here's something I'm concerned about. We can then kind of naturally... 50, 20, 10 scripts will start floating to the top from that process. Mm. And that's when we get out our calculators and say, okay, we love these filmmakers. We love these scripts. We think they're going to do a really good job. How much money are they asking for? How much money do we have? Mm -hmm. Let's start doing some math. And that's where the budgets <laughs> come in. How much do you need? How much are you asking for? How much do I have? And it becomes a conversation from there. And I always tell filmmakers, like, I will never throw away your application without first saying, hey, you're asking for 40. I can only give you 32. Can you make that work? Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be like, well, you need 40 and I only have 39. Sorry, bye. Right, right. It's always a conversation. If, if you've made it that far, if you've made it to the top 10, and we are so excited about your script and you've beaten out the other 690 scripts, that's a conversation I'll have with you and say, look. With the applicant. With the applicant. So you... And say, you're in the top 10. Okay, so there are, like, potential notification... Totally. I really would that don't be like... The, would that be the, the only notification you get prior? There's no, like... You know when you do, like, writing competitions, you're like, oh, I'm a second rounder and I'm a, a semi-finalist. I'm trying to and... remember, again, like... We, we modify every year based on what we've, what we've learned. I am, a, having been on the other side of it, having been a filmmaker who mm -hmm. has submitted an application to a grant or a program or a job or a bid or something that I'm trying to win or get hired for, uh, the worst thing in the world is not hearing anything at all. So I'm always of the mindset of like, oh, I'm going to keep you as informed as possible. Uh-huh. In our process, it goes from 600 to 300 
to 100 to 50 to 20, you're, you're probably not going to get an email from me until you're at the top 25 to mm -hmm. 30. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get an email from me that says, hey, you're in the top 25. Because at that point, that's when I want to start talking to you. Because they're all, so you just need to find, okay, that makes sense. Like you want to. It's all to, like on paper. I want to like to meet, I want to like talk to you. Because then that'll be the the extra ingredients you're looking for exactly. that separate people. Yep. Yeah. Once we're at the top 25, top mm -hmm. 20, it's really, really important for me. And even before COVID, we always did it over Zoom, filmmakers all across the country. Mm -hmm. I would I would book a 30-minute meeting. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. I want to say hi. I want you to tell me about the film. I want you to tell me why you're excited about it. It's like a little bit of X factor that in that process, and I, and I can't tell you why, mm -hmm. but if I have 30 semi-finalists and I talk to every single one of them on the phone and hear from them and learn from them and have a conversation with them, I'll be able to cut that down to 20 Yeah, because that's just part of it. And then I want to start having conversations about budget. I want to have conversations about your vision. Reading an application on paper is like, what? it's going to get you so far. It'll get yeah. you to a certain point. At a certain mm -hmm. point, you got to like see the person and say hi and meet and talk a little bit and yeah, really get a yeah. sense for them a little bit. Usually they'll bring their team. So if it's a director, they'll bring their producer with them or they'll bring whatever. There'll be like five of them. Yeah, yeah, collaborators. So they can all talk to me about the vision and the project and how mm. they want to do it. And here's what I'm thinking. And I want it to be like this. And through that conversation, I can usually, for a multitude of reasons, count hmm. someone in or count someone out. And then still, I'm still sitting there with 20 applications and I have maybe two grants to give, right, maybe right. three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't get any easier. It doesn't get any easier just because you've made it into the top 20, just because you've made it into the top 10, just because you've made it into the top five, there's still a 50% chance. <laughs> So when you first started by saying the odds are insurmountable, <laughs> they are not insurmountable, but it is a tough, tough hmm. competition. I can't speak to other programs and how many they award versus don't award. I can say that the program that we run is very competitive. Yeah. Because we're giving away money and the filmmakers are so talented and everyone's got a great idea and yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. All right, so when... Can I tell you about the what we're doing this year? Sure, let's get to that. Because it's different this year. <laughs> All right. So we said in the first year it was, here's $40,000. Take it. The second year it was, tell me how much you need. Try to keep it under 50. Try to keep it under 50 if you can. Mm -hmm. But tell me what you need, and we do kind of an open bid mm -hmm. format. 2020 blue. <laughs> 2020 for people in production, as I'm sure everybody knows, has been really tough. It has been hard to get back on set. It has been dangerous to get back on set. I have filmmakers who won a grant back in 2019. We are sitting here now in 2021. I have filmmakers that won a grant back in 2019 who still have not been able to safely oh. and successfully produce their films. They were supposed to shoot in March. They were supposed to shoot in April. They were supposed to shoot in July. 
-hmm. I am sitting here now in January 2021 with 2019 grant winners still not being able to safely produce. So, and looking at our 2021 grant. Mm -hmm. Did you did you not do 2020 grants because we postponed? Okay, right. Because we were going to open up. Normally, we open up in the fall. It's like a it's like a fall cycle. The month of September is when we open up our applications okay. and bring everybody in. Yeah. Sitting there in August and realizing yeah, that yeah. we still couldn't produce, we postponed and said we need to think of something else. Mm -hmm. So here we are. So here we are in 2021. And here's what we've come up with. <laughs> New, new program. Okay. Um, it's my hope that this is just a 2021 thing. I really, really want to get back to our normal, like, annual one big grant every year thing. Mm -hmm. But sitting here in 2021, what we decided to do is kind of cut up our big grant into four small pieces. So rather than you have one chance to win one big sum of money for your one film, we are doing four small grant opportunities. Mm -hmm. So essentially every quarter, one in February, one in May, one in July, and one in the fall. So four small opportunities and the prizes are gonna be smaller. They're gonna be four, five, six thousand mm dollars We want people to be thinking smaller. We want people mm -hmm. to be producing smaller. Mm -hmm. We want you to be producing with a small crew in a local location with as few people as possible because we want you to be safe and we want you to be able to actually produce these projects. So rather than mm -hmm. we're gonna do one prize of $30,000, we're doing lots of small prizes for four or $5,000 each. So rather than what you're gonna see this year if you decide to apply is not gonna be give me a budget for $50,000 because we're just not gonna produce films yeah, on that scale yeah. this year. What it's gonna be is submit your project, give me your script, give me your treatment. If you win, you'll get 5,000 bucks, 6,000 bucks, plus some camera rentals and lighting rentals and additional stuff. So it's totally different this mm -hmm, year mm -hmm. from everything we've been talking about. And again, I, I, I hope that's just a 2021 thing. It's just kind of getting us through this mm -hmm. year and then my hope is that in 2022 we we bring back the full production big grant because that's really what i'm passionate about okay that's what i want to be doing right, right, but right. We, we've had to i like modify i like the uh i like the what do they call it? the audible though i think it's a good i think it plays with um with the environment that we're in currently like it seems to make sense to yeah. me I'm, thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, I, Cause we're, I mean, we're, 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 I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, honestly, like, like, I don't know what will work and I don't know what people, this is what I think people need right now. I think that if, I think it would be irresponsible for me to give out a $50,000 grant mm -hmm. for a scale of production of that size in the current climate. Mm -hmm. I think that more frequent, smaller grants. One, we get to support more people. Rather than only funding two projects this year, we're gonna fund 10. We get to support people more frequently. Mm -hmm. It's not just September, that's it, sorry, you missed it. Every quarter, there'll be a new opportunity. And the prizes are gonna be smaller, but I want the productions to be smaller. And I, I want you to want the productions to be smaller. Yeah. 
Um, so I mean, honestly, this this is this is our answer to kind of what's happening right now. I I hope it works. I hope people are excited about it. I know it's not the big thing that everybody usually I, I waits saw. for every year, but. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it sounds like odds odds go up. Odds go up. <laughs> Funding goes down. And produce, pro producibility kind of goes up too, kind of like what you're saying. At least producibility equals the, the landscape. So That's the hope. Because like, I was talking to you a little bit very briefly before we were rolling yeah. about like I've been able to – like it sounds like the stuff that I, I normally try to do on – like it's like a fun little weekend thing on yeah. the side – or you could afford the sound person, you yep. can afford a location and kind of get it. It wouldn't be a 20-minute piece, but it would likely be... Five or ten minutes, five or ten something minute. small, one location, a small crew, a, a mm -hmm. filming outside, mm -hmm. one or two cast members. Like I think that if you want to be a successful filmmaker in the current climate, you, you have to be thinking those things anyway. If you think you're going to produce a script in a baseball arena with a helicopter right now you're, you're just not like it's kind of a creative challenge well for it sounds like that was never a good idea it was never gonna happen not for our grant <laughs> right. no baseball arenas no helicopters right, right. unless you already own one or something and you yeah can... no but i've always been a big advocate for especially for you know i don't know the the type of filmmaker trying to make short films anyway totally. like it's it's important just to turn out stuff and make stuff yeah and whatever Whatever allows you to make the thing is a plus. I and feel is it like going to be like your magnum opus? Probably it's, not. It's never going to be anyway. It, right. <laughs> and and I again, like I'm 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 putting on my filmmaker sure. hat and my filmmaker brain and thinking. I think a lot of us are disappointed in what's happening in the world. In the world. I think sure. a lot of us have had a really rough year. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us have probably were planning on doing projects that had to get canceled. Um, and rather than say, screw you, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to get my $50,000 and I'm going to make it as safe as I possibly can. And we're going to mm -hmm. do testing and we're going to do every day, we're going to do thermometer checks and we're going to do five or six or seven days of filming mm -hmm. and we're going to cycle out. Like that's fine if that's how you want to spend your time and money right now I think it's so much more valuable to be saying I have an opportunity to get a $5,000 check a camera package and a lighting package and a post-production package from shift mm -hmm. what film can I make in my house in my neighborhood in my backyard with my two friends with one cat like how can that's it's a creative challenge I, I would much rather filmmakers be thinking that way rather than this big thing that I was hoping to do this year, how can I somehow make it work? Like, like just put it on hold. Just wait. We'll be back next year. 2022, everybody. 2022. For here. the time being, <laughs> I think we yeah. need to be thinking about what's a little thing I can do mm -hmm. locally, small scale, safely. We did a we did a, a project this past spring, in like May. Um, we called it the Create at Home Film Festival, where people were mm. literally in lockdown, like cannot leave your house lockdown, and we said, produce a film in your house, 
on your iPhone, like whatever you have laying around, produce a film, 10 minutes or less, send it to us, and we gave out prizes. We mm -hmm. gave out cash prizes for, for our winners, three winners. And it's like the amount of creativity that people were able to like, people filmed entire narrative short films on Zoom mm -hmm. in a way that actually made sense. The film took place on a Zoom call and they were able to think, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to go and film, so how can I make this story work in the context of a Zoom call? And I was like, yes, that's a creative solution to the problem that, look, we're all, we're all, we're all stuck here right now. So yeah. like creative-minded people start thinking creatively about mm -hmm. how to make this work. So that was super inspiring when we did that in May. We got a couple hundred short films of people filming in their kitchens, in their backyards, having their mom hold the camera while they acted out the film. Some people did animation, they did stop motion, they did claymation, they did documentary about their family. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there you go. That's the kind of stuff I want to be seeing right now. Prepping you for next year. Yeah, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so we're doing kind of a step up from that, where it's not just like make a film and we'll, we'll give you a prize, but we'll give you a little bit of funding, we'll give you a little bit of support, we'll give you as many resources as you can. Mm -hmm. But we're not doing $50,000 films so, this year. Just to clarify, too, um, so you mentioned the, the smaller pops. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned some camera package, yeah. lighting package, and post-production house package. So there's a, there's a bunch of prizes. Those are outside of the 5000 Correct. So we call those in-kind donations. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned, a lot of grants does, only award in-kind. Does that, does that require them being in like the LA area to redeem Depends stuff? on the package. Depends on the package. So I have a, a lot of those prizes that I'm kind of scattering throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, in our February grant, our Q1 yeah, yeah. February grant, um, we've got a $500 rental coupon from lensrentals.com where you can rent a camera or a lens. We have, I hope, I'm still finalizing these details, uh, a full camera rental from Blackmagic. Anywhere in the country, they'll ship you a camera. You use it, mm -hmm. they'll send it back. Um, an Adobe post-production suite for, I think, three months. They're donating three months of Premiere, Photoshop, After yeah, Effects. Yeah, the full, the full the deal. full Creative Cloud suite. Um, and then, again, hopefully, I'm finalizing this right now. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm finalizing this right now. Um, music bed donating some uh, free music and sound licensing. So the hope is we give you $5,000. You get a camera from Blackmagic. Mm -hmm. You get as many lenses as you want from lensrentals.com. You get a post-production suite and you get music licensing just based on donations mm -hmm. that our, our partners have given you. Now that's gonna change depending on which grant sure, happens sure. in which month, but that's an example of that $5,000 will hopefully go a little bit further because you don't have to yeah. rent a camera, you don't have to rent the lenses, and you can maybe rent a couple lights. We do have some local partners, like a local LA um, rental house where you do have to be in LA and they give you a 50% discount, but okay. you have to be local. Those yeah. do happen every so often, but 
a lot of them are, are, are national, and it's mm -hmm. just wherever you are, they'll ship it to you. And, and they'll make it work. Make it work, and then you ship it back, and that's $500 you don't have to spend mm -hmm. from the money that we're giving you. Yeah. So yeah. we try to beef it up as much as possible so that it's like, it's not just, here's a check. It's like, let me give you as many resources as I can so that the money can be spent towards no, it's great. people yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and other stuff. For sure. I'm just getting distracted by the leaf blower. I know. Over here, no big I deal. I hope it's not <laughs> too loud. We got an airplane. All right, anyway, so it's all good. I, I'm trying to figure out on... There's a couple things that I was kind of thinking of that I forgot to, I forgot yeah. to mention, but um, what are the turnaround times for, I guess there's two questions before I forget. Turnaround times from application deadline mm -hmm. to announcement of mm -hmm. I'm in the final mix to money in hand yep. to can I, as a filmmaker, submit for every quarter. Mm -hmm. I imagine it's not ideal if you don't get in the first one to just submit the same thing again, but who knows? I don't know. It, I would, we, I would argue it, it's, uh, it's a numbers game. So I have no qualms about, hey, I didn't get the first one. I'm going to submit again, mm -hmm. especially if you know you made it in the in, finals into or the finals. Like I said, we, ha we have a moment where we're sitting there with 10 fantastic scripts and we have to just pick two. And um, if you apply again in the next quarter, it's a different batch. <laughs> like, I mean, I know that sounds yeah, random, yeah. and I don't mean it to sound as random as it does, but it really is a numbers game. And I've had filmmakers submit the same scripts three years in a row, and one of them won. Mm. The first year, they, they made it to the finals, and I said, I love this script. I'm sorry we can't support it this year, but, but we love this script. Submit it again the next year. I'm sorry we can't support it this year, but we love this script. And then they won. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I told you we loved this script. It just was a question of who else were you up against, how much budget we had, how many films we were awarding. So, mm -hmm. yes, you can submit every single quarter. We are doing, like, vague themes this year. Mm. And I, I try really, really hard to not make it too, like, I'm being as vague as possible because... I'm not going to say, like, your script must include an elephant and a red ball. Mm -hmm. Like, no. Sure, sure. But make your script about community. Sure. All scripts are. <laughs> like, I really so am. You, so you kind of offer. The, I offer, like, a prompt, like a theme that's for new, each quarter, but... which is new. Which is new. So I will say that, like, in February, our theme is community. We're working with um, Black Public Media. February is Black History Month. We're working with Black Public Media. Um, we're committing to supporting at least one of our two winners to be a black filmmaker, talking about the experience of living in the black community. If your script has some inkling of a sense of community, that's great. Mm -hmm. Our theme in November is going to be mystery. Can your film be about community and mystery? Totally. Are you maybe going to tweak a couple of lines mm -hmm. here and there so it fits a little better with the theme? Sure. 
I really, I don't want it to be prohibitive mm -hmm. to anybody, but I do want each quarterly grant, our, our third quarter grant is going to be animation only. Mm. So it's only animated projects, mm. short narrative animation. That could be 2D, hand-drawn, stop motion, computer, whatever it is, that's going to be an animation only quarter. Because we're separating it like this, I saw an opportunity to be a little more specific. Right. It's not right. just like one big grant and whatever it is, it is like because we're doing mm -hmm. four smaller ones, we are being a little more specific about supporting ty different types of films and filmmakers each quarter. That's a long way of saying you can totally submit the same film four times. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that the theme is going to be a little different each quarter. So pay attention to that. Yeah. The, yeah it'd be kind of funny to... It's like here's my community film, and I was like, "Well, I guess, I guess this is animation." <laughs> it's now. an animation now, and look, <laughs> I, I that sounds silly, but like, welcome to filmmaking. Mm -hmm. If you have any interest in working mm -hmm. in like a studio system, yeah. someone's gonna come to you and say, "Hey, cool script. Can you make it a comedy?" And I think you need to. Kind of be open. Kind of be open to that. And, and you know, I'm talking on a much smaller scale here, here of course, but, like, I think um, to be too precious mm -hmm. about your baby can be prohibitive in terms of, hey, I love this idea. Can you make it 10 minutes instead of 40? Hey, I love this idea. Can we set it in New York instead of Los Angeles? hey, this is a really great idea, but I want it to be a romance instead of a horror. Like, that's sure, a conversation sure, you're sure. going to have yeah, with people. Yeah. So, so to, to have the creative flexibility to say, yeah, totally, let me, let me manipulate this a little bit. Let me rewrite this character a little bit to make it fit. And again, I, I do not have any intention of, like, making you totally rewrite your script, mm -hmm. which is why I'm keeping them as vague and open as possible. Like, yeah. love, cool. Like, like I, I really don't want it to be, yeah, <laughs> really don't want it to be um, constrictive. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. But I do want it to be, you know. And, and, then, and then the, uh, the turnaround time. The turnaround time. So in our, in our normal grant cycle, um, because we're reading 700 scripts all at once, it would take a few months. Mm -hmm. Applications would be in September. They would close the last day of September, and we would announce our winners December, like three months later. Um, in this cycle, because we're splitting it up and the groups are going to be so much smaller, mm -hmm. I, again, my hope, I'm about to open this up in February. I could get 50 applications. I could get 500. Yeah. My, my hope and my plan right now is that um, applications close at the end of February for our first quarter and that we will have winners selected within that next month, maybe six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, the applications are going to be a lot smaller. I'm not going to ask you to write pages and pages and pages about mm -hmm. your director's statement and your vision and your crew. And It's going to be a little bit pared down. It's a smaller grant. It's a smaller production. It's a smaller amount of money. Mm -hmm. Send me a script. Send me a treatment. Answer a few questions. And wow, Every, wow, wow me. Wow me. <laughs> Everything is going to be just like a little yeah. bit more low-key this year. So my hope is that once any given cycle ends and the applications close, four to six weeks later, we'll mm -hmm. say, congratulations, you mm -hmm. won. And my hope is that you'll get an email beforehand letting you know, hey, you're in the top 10. Hey, you're in the top 20. 
I'm sorry, you're not in the top 20. Hmm. Apply again a, next time. Is there a uh, promised announcement date, or is it kind of like you guys keep it open for yourselves in that process? If, if this wasn't the first time I was doing this type of cycle, mm -hmm. um, I would be able to make a promise like that, but just because I, I, this is all new, yeah. I, I, all I have new. an idea knowing the past three years how it's gone. Um, but I don't want to make a promise because um, this is new. Sure, sure. <laughs> so we'll see. In the normal grant cycles, I, I normally give a promise like before the end of the year. Applications uh, end in September. Before the end of the calendar year, you will know. Mm -hmm. um, and I can keep that promise because mm -hmm. I've done it three times now. Yeah. Uh, this is new, so... I don't want to make a promise. Yeah, that I can't yeah, no, keep no, 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 for sure. I guess like we were talking about the anticipation as a filmmaker yeah. waiting to hear back, because I've submitted to you know labs and yep. that kind of stuff before, and there's the not hearing back is kind of okay when you know there's a deadline that there is an announcement yes. looming that if I don't get the email that I know I didn't get it, yes. then I can be let off the hook. And that's why I make the opposite promise, which is like, it's not going to be a day, but you will get an email from me. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to be a yes or a no. Mm -hmm. There is no world in which you just don't hear anything. Like, you're going to yeah. get an email that says, I'm so sorry, you didn't make it this time. Please submit again next time. Um and you can, it's so funny, like, having done this for so many years, there's, like, a really specific timeline when I can tell, like, the filmmakers are starting to get antsy because I start getting emails, mm -hmm. like, it's a like, month or on? two after <laughs> the applications close. Hey, like, have you announced anything yet? Hey, like, any sense of, like, when you're going to announce? And, you know, I, I always respond mm -hmm. you'll get an email from me either way don't worry about it we should be announcing in the next two weeks keep an eye on your inbox i'll let you know um i try to over communicate because it's great communication because i'm great. not saying if you don't hear from me by december 31st it means you didn't get in because i think that that's what if i missed the email i don't know like that still leaves a little bit of an open-ended like I'm an anxious person, and if that well, were me, that, I would be anxious about that. That would only, it's kind of like a little bit mean, but at the same time, if you say by December 30th and you don't get to it, and I'm like, oh, I didn't get it, and then January 2nd, I got an email saying you got it, then that's like a plus, you know? I guess, <laughs> but also that means that I didn't keep my promise. Yeah. I lied no, to no, you. No, 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 for sure, for sure. <laughs> that I made you feel, I... I yeah. I would rather be, um, I'd rather just be, like, broken up with than, like, leave me hanging for a no, couple I mean, of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, there's, just from my experience, having both is the nice thing. It's yes. like, all right, I know. Here's when you can expect it. So that way I'm not two weeks in. Yep. I'm like, where's the email? And it's like, oh, I should have looked. It's yep. end of the year. It's three months. Totally. So. And I try to give, um, I try to give a, a ballpark timeline. Mm -hmm. I will never say like, you will hear from me by December 15th because I know that's not true. Sure, but sure. I will say you can expect to hear something from me in December. So you're sitting there on September 30th and you can think, great, I'm not gonna think about this till December. So I, I, I always try to give a general yeah. timeline okay. without saying, I promise you're going to get an email by December 31st because, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, 
because yeah, I don't want I didn't want anyone to live like three months in agony, mm-hmm. checking, no, for sure, refreshing for sure. their email every day, hoping to hear from me. Yeah. So the the other big question that I think we should address, and because we talked about this on the phone, where the the, the person is wondering. But Grace, like, tell me how to how get to win. how do I how do I win this, and what yeah. are you looking for specifically? Yeah. And is there like some sort of con- constant theme between all the winners? How do you like? Is the yeah? It's a question I get asked. I mean, obviously. Yeah. How do I get the money? How do I win? <laughs> like that's the number one question sure. people ask me. Um, and of course I'm gonna say like there is no short answer. Mm-hmm. There is no formula. But is there, is there a long answer? There's a long answer. <laughs> how much time do we have? There is a longer answer. And the problem is, is that it's, there, there is no formula. I cannot say, like, do this, 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 and this, and then mm-hmm. you're going to win. Mm-hmm. It's art. <laughs> we are talking about art. That makes it subjective, yeah. complicated, um, variable. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost like to equate it, and that's why I, I am, you know, I like to talk about the team that I have, the readers that I have on board, the fact that at least two people are going to read every script mm-hmm. because it is so variable, because it is so subjective, because one person might read a script and think, this is the best thing I've ever read. A second person reads that script and says, this sucks. I never, I hate this script. Welcome to the world of art. Mm-hmm. You and I could sit mm-hmm. down and watch the exact same movie, and you would say, that was terrible. The dialogue was stupid, and I didn't think the plot worked. And I could say, oh, my God, that was the best movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the world of Yeah, right, filmmaking. right. So I guess the question becomes... Maybe like some what not to do or like what is in my control then? Like what, why, what? How, yeah, it's not, it's not (laughs) just a crapshoot. One thing that I always come back to and I always tell filmmakers because this is a common theme between films, I shouldn't even say films, between applications that really stand out is a filmmaker that has a vision. And I know that's a, I hope that's not as vague as it sounds mm-hmm. in my head, mm-hmm. but a vision for the project and a communication of that vision sounds like film 101, like, duh, of course I need to have a vision. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many filmmakers say things like, we might do this, we might do that, I'd like to do this if we can, but if not, then maybe we'll do this instead. Here's kind of some pictures of what I think it will look like. Does not give me as much confidence mm-hmm. as someone that says, here's what it is. I can see it in my head. When you can see it in your head, and you can write it in a way that I see it in my head. I can communicate it, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's filmmaking. Like, like yeah. it's, it's uh, way harder than it sounds, but a good visual treatment, a pitch deck, which we do require with our applications, mm-hmm. like a script is one thing. I would say if a script is 50% of the application, the pitch deck is 40, mm-hmm. <laughs> like 30. Mm-hmm. Like a, writing a good script is obviously very important. 
me reading that script and turning the pages and being excited and seeing it in my head, that's great. To pair that with a really strong pitch deck is probably the most mm -hmm. important thing in that pitch deck to have it short, succinct, clear, I have confidence. Mm -hmm. I have confidence that I'm going to write you a check for $30,000 and you're going to know exactly what to do with it. Is that information that you, let's say with, with this grant specifically, yeah. is that information you're transparent about with like, here's our three winners, here's their scripts and their pitch decks so you can see how awesome they were and how different That's they all were? That's not a bad idea. I, um, we haven't done that mm -hmm. in the past. I'm actually, um, I'm working right now on writing an article about pitch decks specifically, why pitch decks are so important, mm -hmm. what makes a good pitch deck, um, not specifically in relation to the grant, but just in general, mm -hmm. here's how to make a good, as someone who has read like yeah. thousands of them right, right, right. in the last three years um, and made thousands of them in the 10 years before that, that's something that I'm working on right now. Mm -hmm. Here's a guide on what makes a great pitch deck. Um, it's not something we've done in the past in terms of like, hey, here's an example of, of a, a script that, that won in the past. And the reason why is because a pitch deck is as unique as the filmmaker. Right, right. Which, film. which, which I think is the message you would potentially be yeah. delivering with it. But that's like something that filmmakers, I guess maybe from my experience, or like, from internet yeah. experience is it again the the mystery of how it all works and like what 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 works what doesn't yeah. work um like for instance i am working with my writing partner on like my first bible that i've ever like a story bible yeah. so we're like all right we have examples from like the 90s and okay. like <laughs> right. this one has like way different tone than ours like how do they do theirs how do we do right. ours what are they looking for now? What's what's modern? Like right. all that kind of stuff is like just we need. Or from my perspective, I'm like, can I see some examples? Yeah, like that kind of. It's totally. always, it's always and I think I hope that um, this article I'm working on right now is at least part of that to say mm -hmm. because I'm going to include, I mean, literally three or four examples of scripts that won of pitch decks that won grants in the okay. past three years, like mm -hmm. in the article which will be published in the next couple of weeks. I'm working on it right now. Um, Here's four examples of great pitch decks. So they think, are all totally different. Yeah, because I think it's totally also different. like a nice self-referential uh, semi-promo yeah. on, on shout-outs to previous winners. Totally. And, it only and then you can also see really. one of the best things you can see is because they're all previous grant winners and because they've all produced their films, Yeah. I, can, I, I will also include the link to the finished film. Yeah. That's Here's great. how the pitch deck compares to the film. Mm -hmm. And you will see, as I have seen, that it is the exact same. Mm. You, you could have seen it in mm. your, like, looking at the pitch deck and looking at the film is the exact same tone, style, and vision that was communicated. And that, to me, is like, yeah. yes, you're a good filmmaker. You knew what you wanted. You put it out exactly in the pitch deck, and then you created it exactly as you said you would. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a clear vision and a strong communication of that vision. And yeah. that could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. for some films, it's just like 
an, an amalgamation of pictures. Here's what's going to communicate this vision for you. My film's a little messy. It's abstract. It's all about colors and shapes. So rather than putting together a pitch deck, which doesn't really make sense for the type of film I'm going to make, mm -hmm. here's a abstract painting. Like, I'm making things up, but like... Sure, sure, sure. There is no formula. Like, the yeah. point is, I should look at that thing. I should read the script, and I should look at that pitch deck, and you I should, should see it. You should know what you're going to get. I should get. know exactly what I'm going to get. Mm -hmm. And when you then compare it to the film that, that was eventually made, you're mm -hmm. like, that's exactly what I thought it was going to be. Way to go. And, and that, like, I can't tell you how to do that, but that's what you have to try to that's do. What that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. And I will say, like, you, you brought up the... Um, like you're making a Bible or you're making like a, a story Bible and you're trying to figure out what people want. Another big part of it is know your audience. Mm -hmm. If you're making a pitch deck for an investor, you better have information in there about return on investments and audience size and outreach strategy and marketing and growth and distribution. If the point of your pitch deck is give me money so that I can make you money, that pitch deck is going to be a lot more data-driven than, for example, in our case where we are not looking for a return on our investment. Mm -hmm. It's not part of our deal that we need to make money. Mm -hmm. It's part of our deal that I want to support the best films I can possibly support. So you don't need to include... Films and filmmakers. Film and filmmakers mm -hmm. that are like, I'm excited about yeah, supporting. So if you're like. making a pitch deck for a nonprofit organization that is specifically looking to support filmmakers to tell a specific story, then you better modify that pitch deck mm -hmm. to speak exactly to that audience. If you're making a pitch deck for a television studio, then you're going to want a different mm -hmm. kind of pitch deck than one that you're making for a grant or for an investor. and. That's another part of it is like know who you're talking to, know who's going to be reading it, what they want. Mm -hmm. In my case, in our case here at Shift, we want <laughs> the most creative, imaginative, well-produced films we can find. Mm -hmm. We just want to support good films and good mm -hmm. filmmakers. I don't care what the story is about. I don't care how much money you think you're going to make on it. We just want to support a really amazing short film. So what, what this is, what is it like um, running a grant program in terms of, I think about, as, Emotionally. <laughs> I, think, I think about from, let's say from the creative standpoint yeah. on being a, being a director, trying to, you know, get grants or, make make the first feature and then level up and get bigger money than, le leverage that whatever like there's a growth totally. process as a creative on the grant side what's the overall when when you do support the filmmakers and then they make their stuff is there a bigger picture thing happening that the short answer is not yet mm -hmm. the long answer is that to me is the missing piece mm-hmm what we're doing right now is letting filmmakers make their films. Mm -hmm. Here's the money. Go make that film. Afterwards, they almost always do a festival run. They, 
they do their own like distribution. They they get it posted online on different platforms. They, I mean, we've we've shown our films in thirty something festivals around the world in these past few years. I would love to have some kind of support structure mm -hmm. funnel that once you win the grant. I kind of oversee the production in a way that like an executive producer might. I, you know, mm. check in every couple of weeks. How's it going? I go on set. I'm pretty hands off, but I'm just kind of there. I, I know what's happening and what's not happening. I'm just like. Sure. I wanted you to say that I'm pretty hands on. I'm not hands on. In fact, I don't want to be. It's your film. No, no, for sure. <laughs> you figure it out. I will. I am checking in, making sure you're on time, making sure you're on budget, anything you need, anything I can help with. Mm -hmm. Following up on post-production, checking in on timelines. You know, I'm just kind of there, making sure everything's going well. I would love to have some kind of funnel for distribution mm. to say, mm. and I've been trying for years, and I'm, I'm still actively trying to make some kind of deal with Amazon Studios, to make some kind of deal with HBO, to make some kind of deal with Netflix, where there is some kind of pipeline for our short films that we're producing with our filmmakers to have some place to go still a work in progress yeah yeah but i think that's a big missing piece of the puzzle it's like great we've helped you make this film now what do i do with it is such a huge question mm -hmm. and, and and becoming more a part of that would be becoming ideal. more a part of that would be that that to me is like yeah. the missing piece because um there was one uh i don't know I don't know if you've heard of it, but Imagine Entertainment does a prompt thing for, I think it's just for scripts specifically, yeah. and they have a partnership with Netflix where they have their like quarterly prompts and it's free to submit, and then if you get accepted, they workshop, you work yeah, with it. You work, you work with an industry professional, whatever that yeah. is, to, to, prep the, to prep it, to pitch, to... The, and there's no promise that Netflix is going to make it, correct. but at least you get the opportunity. The That's all I want. I want, mm -hmm. and I've had conversations, and That's I continue to have like. these conversations with mm -hmm. the head of short originals at Netflix, with the uh, shorts team at HBO, um, with people at Sony, where I've had these conversations and said, look, I'm doing all the work of like finding these great, talented filmmakers. Mm -hmm. They are making fantastic short films. Can you at least look at them and like have a meeting, have, have a pitch yeah, yeah, call, yeah. have yeah. an opportunity to sit down and meet with that person so that you have the incentive of some, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't, even if they don't pick it up and they decide, no, you still go do your festivals, do whatever you were going to do already. Um, yeah. So I, I'm tr I want that no. so bad because I know how valuable that is. It's 100%. like, well, great. I've made this film. Now what? So it, it sounds... <laughs> Because this is, I, this is still a young totally. grant program. Yeah. So it sounds to me like, all right, just like anything else, it's leveraging the films that you've made and the laurels they've received. Exactly. And ideally that builds up. And to, that's exactly, yeah. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. I won't say who said this to me, but someone at a big streaming service said to me, call me again in three years, like you've been doing this for three years, get another three years under your belt and then we can talk, which is like yeah. fair, <laughs> fair enough. We, you know, we've had three grant cycles so far. 
there's interest in young creative talent. There's interest in content. I mean, uh, look, we can't even talk about like how content hungry the world the world is. Mm -hmm. What I am essentially hearing is this sounds great. Keep doing it, and then call me again in 2025. Yeah, no, it sounds and it's about like, right. All right. Yeah. Cool. So that's like my five-year plan <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. is to eventually build into the program, hey, not only do you get the grant and you get the film, but you get a meeting with the head of original shorts at Netflix. Mm -hmm. And you get your shorts seen by the uh, creative development team at HBO. Mm -hmm. And you get a meeting with them. And maybe they tell you they like it. Maybe they tell you they want to workshop it. Maybe nothing happens, but, but yeah, dream. That's my dream. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm thinking about. Sorry, I'm looking at the the bad. The battery is on here, running low. Oh no! But they'll be fine. The temperature is. It has it has shifted <laughs> dramatically in the last. The, the sun went behind a cloud, hour. and now we're cold. <laughs> we're really cold. <laughs> All right. Um, let's jump out of grants a little yeah. bit and talk about you. Ooh. And. Um, Film. And film. Filmmaking. So, because I'm curious, I'm always curious about, I don't know. Everything. Everything. <laughs> I was going to say where, where people where people are going, but we just talked about that. I have a so, knock um, on whatever, cause, knock cause on wood. Right. So we initially, sorry, let me get, have my notes from our call. Yeah. Um. I might need a reminder. I, mean, I can give you my so you my elevator pitch on Grace. Because you went to film school. I went to film school. And the dream was slash is. Let's, let's start with that big question. So I think I realized in film school that the people that were in film school with me mm -hmm. wanted it more than I did. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is the blood, it. sweat, tears. Mm -hmm. I will do anything to be a filmmaker, to get my vision and my voice and my story out there was a trait that most of my peers had and I was like I, I didn't have that burning mm -hmm. drive that mm -hmm. I'm I didn't ever want to be like Steven Spielberg what I did like doing was facilitating other people's <laughs> creative visions which is why I ended up in production mm -hmm. I ended up as a producer a line producer because I was good at and I liked making budgets, making schedules, coordinating timelines, vendors. I want to give you everything you need so that you can be Martin Scorsese and make this creative vision that you have. So I realized really, really early on that that like filmmaker, like, oh my God, I must make films, mm -hmm. wasn't what I was feeling. What I was feeling was, I'm a really good producer. I'm really good at managing and organizing things. Mm -hmm. And I love 
helping people do that. So, did you ever have a chance to? Did you ever utilize those skills to self-produce or to get the feeling of the creation? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I. How did you realize? Majored in directing. Yeah. So at at Emerson, where I went to school. The general uh, degree that you get is called visual media arts. It's the film degree, and then you specialize in something. Mm-hmm. So you specialize in cinematography or uh, post production, or they recently added a producing specialization after I left. I would have totally done that. Um, mm. Technically, my specialization was in directing narrative fiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as part of that coursework, I directed some films. <laughs> I, as part of group projects, as as you know, part of classwork, uh, directed actors did a lot of work with actors and directing mm-hmm. actors and how to get them to to be where you want them to be and do what you want them to do. I spent a lot of time acting as a young, you know, in middle school and high school. I loved acting. I loved working with actors. So I did get to kind of flex those creative yeah, muscles yeah, yeah. a little bit and be yeah. like, cool, this is what being a director is. Did I have a thing inside of me that like needed to get out? No, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't. I still don't. Most creative people that I know, most people that work in filmmaking, have that like fire. That's like I have a story to tell, and I must tell it, and I must. I I don't, and never have, <laughs> and <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know what that means about me. But I'm like, you know what? Directing is cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. I understand it. I can talk to actors. We can do this. I think to be successful, to even have a chance to be successful in film, you gotta have like the blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. I will die for this. And I was like, I just don't have that. And I don't. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah I, no, I, it I is fine. It... Like I don't need it. I can still participate in this industry, which I love so much using the skills that I do have, which are like and shot list, budget, schedules, time yeah. cards, all that stuff. I'll help you with all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. But and I then, don't have the like And then there's plenty there's plenty of people as evidenced by the grant program yes. that are dying to have that support. Totally. So And it's funny how it's transitioned to... from like I'm still giving that sentence still works when I say, I'm here to support you and your vision. Mm-hmm. That was true when I was an independent producer. And it's still true now. I'm mm-hmm. just doing it in a different way. No, I'm doing it as cool. a grant manager. And it's like, oh, that worked out. I still, I love working with filmmakers. I love being on set. I love working alongside creative people. Do I want to be the director? No, okay. not really. <laughs> so, so you mentioned that you were you explored acting yeah. through like middle school, through high theater, school too. Yeah, the theater kids. Oh, I was a big old theater nerd. Broadway. So, so then that, I, so did that create the the itch for the directing side as you were stuck on the actor side? Through I that, I or? can literally remember the moment. So so middle school, high school, I was an actor. I loved theater. I did a lot of local community theater. loved musicals. Loved going to Broadway mm-hmm. shows. And it was just like, I still to this day, love theater. Um, at a certain point in late high school, I started getting interested in theater tech. I would be, I would do lighting and sound design. I mm-hmm. would be up in the booth running the light board, 
rather than being on stage. And it was an interesting evolu evolution similar where I was like, oh, I don't need to be like the person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the spotlight. I just love being a part of this. Mm -hmm. I love being up there and managing the lights and reading my script and making sure all my cues are happening yeah, at the right time. Making, making them look good down there. Making yeah. them make it all look good. Um, it all was part of the same drive. And I literally can remember like the moment when it was like, where am I going to go to college? And what am mm. I going to study? And my first thought was, should I go to like theater school and like be a like theater tech? And I was like, no, I don't really want to do that. Mm -hmm. And film somehow in my mind became like an evolution of that. It was like, that's kind of similar, creative industry, lots of different roles, lots of different things we can do, lots of different ways we can all participate. Again, most of the kids that I went to film school with had been making films on their camcorders since they were six years old. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. and I just wasn't that kid. I wanted to be near it. I wanted to help, but I did. I wasn't mm -hmm. the kid that was like, I have no home movies from yeah. sixth grade of like me remaking Jurassic Park with Legos. Like, never did that. Sure. Never had any interest in doing that, but I loved. I couldn't tell you how theater in my brain translated to film, but it did. No, I could, I and could I was see like, that. I guess yeah. I'll go to film school. Like, that could be cool. And it was. <laughs> and now I'm doing it for 15 years now, and it's like, cool, that, that was great. But it was a, hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. how that happened. Yeah. No, it sounds similar to, like, I went. I went I went a different route I went to school for engineering oh, wow. and then I jumped into I, I tried out acting after after I got my bachelor's and realized that I don't want to be that person yeah and I like you the, have to like really want to be that person yeah. and I also didn't want to be that I like person because of course uh for many people when you when you watch a movie not knowing the behind the scenes you're like yeah. there's an actor. actor so I was like all right that's what I'm, I guess. Let's try that. <laughs> That's the person making the movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then I, I I learned kind of similar to you that it, I had to well, I had to produce my own stuff to yeah. be in front of the camera to kind of get those things going. Yeah. Um, and I realized similar, like a similar to you, where I enjoyed putting the stuff together. Yeah. So I'll put somebody else in front, and uh, um, so I, I relate to that for sure. It's interesting, like. Uh, and I think that's probably true of most like creative-minded people or people that work in industries like this is like, it's not science. Like I can't tell you how and why I like did. And also another huge part of my history is I spent many, many years uh, as a wedding planner. Right. I was going to get um, to that too. Which is like, I always say like an event planner and a film producer are the exact same job it's just the results are different like one the result is a film and in the other the result is a wedding but the job is exactly the they're same they're both putting on shows exactly like literally like the budget spreadsheets i use are exactly the same <laughs> maybe the line items are a little bit different but like event producer and film producer mm -hmm. are the exact same job so once i i kind of realized like okay i like film 
I like filmmaking, what I really like is producing, uh, I started working in wedding videography, mm-hmm. so I became someone that shot and edited weddings. And this was during this film was during school. school. Mm-hmm. It was my internship, so I was in Boston the last you know junior year of college. You're encouraged to go get an internship. I got an internship as a wedding videographer. Mm-hmm. So I knew how to work a camera. I knew how to work a microphone. I knew how to turn on a light. I knew how to. I knew my way around. I was using Final Cut at that point. I use Premiere now. Um, when I edit, I was using Final Cut um, because this was 2008 or something. <laughs> sure, um, sure. So I got an internship. Still in school, mm-hmm. I would, you know, after my classes for the day, I would go out to the uh, wedding studio. I would edit on almost every single Saturday, especially in the spring and summer. I would be at weddings filming. Um, using the skills I knew about lights and camera and lenses and finding the shots and then telling that story through the edit. That was what I did for two or three years. And you, so you, you started out, you said as an intern, as an intern. intern, So you're, there's a, there's a lead wedding videographer and you're like assisting as a, as a, a, how many, like as a second? Yeah. So there was two, as a husband and wife team. Okay. And And they were the two leads and I was always like camera C. Again, bonus. Exactly. So I would be there and, um, their style was really particular. It was very, very, um, very Tay, very documentary style, kind mm-hmm. of like fly on the wall. They, they kind of taught me their ways mm-hmm. of like, we're going to be over here. We're going to have a long lens. You're going to be kind of hiding over there. We're trying to capture really truthful moments, very documentary style. So I would shoot with them as their C camera operator every weekend for three years. Okay. Once I graduated, they hired me, so my internship turned into a job. Um, I started managing their studio, managing their editing team. Mm-hmm. I would do some jobs on my own where I would bring my own kind of B team if we had two weddings on the same day. I kind of climbed the ranks and became um, yeah. a wedding videographer. Yeah, and, and then you start meeting wedding planners. The event industry in Boston mm-hmm. is a small industry. Mm. you start seeing the same people at every wedding when you go to weddings every single weekend in the same five hotels you start learning a little bit about the industry what the photographer the caterer the vendors the photo booth like all those pieces kind of work together and when i was ready to leave the videography company i uh approached a wedding planner she said i'm looking for a new event planner. Mm -hmm. And I will say that during this whole time, I'm still doing film work. Mm -hmm. I'm doing commercials. I'm doing short films. I'm helping friends produce projects. Mm -hmm. I'm... It's kind of like, so film school life plus intro freelance life plus plus consistent (laughs) wedding work. Okay. I like it. It was uh, a mishmash of a lot of things. Um, and I transitioned out of videography and into wedding planning, mm-hmm. which, to be honest with you, like I said, like what was the... I was happier that I, I, I was happier as a producer than I ever was as an editor uh-huh. and film. I don't want to say filmmaker, but video videographer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was it the... resparked that like oh right I like producing because thing that I've heard about. 
wedding stuff because weddings of course happen everywhere like that's kind of the benefit or not benefit of coming up in a non-film town is there still like if you want to do right. video weddings are kind of like events well, of guess, all kinds i guess yeah events like yeah. i guess that's how i'm gonna make my money is <laughs> shooting a thousand shooting percent um so did that i'm just curious as to why like what caused the transition was it just from wanna... videography to like event planning yeah I, i'm just assuming that it's like the repetitive nature of weddings it was it was um but. yeah three plus years of filming and editing weddings and what that taught me about myself was that i'm not an editor and let me say that when you're a wedding videographer mm-hmm. five days a week you're an editor one day of the week, you're a shooter. Mm-hmm. Saturdays, you're filming. Monday to Fridays, you're editing. What are you editing? The, f- the wedding videos. So it depends on the package they order and all yeah. that stuff, right? Like how, what, what kind, was it, because I've seen some, like the bigger ones, because I'm from Reno. Yeah. And I've. Lots wait, of weddings in Reno. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen, because there's like Tahoe up there and stuff. There's like some crazy cool whatever people spend money on weddings oh yeah so when i look at like a wedding video option plan yeah. i'm like wait how much are you spending on an edit uh because there's like a whole 45 minute documentary yep. wedding stuff there's a shorter and cinematic a, little... yep there's a trailer so we'll sometimes cut what we call a trailer mm-hmm. and that's the first thing you get out the door because i'm not joking when i say it's three out cameras filming eight hours each mm-hmm. for one wedding. Yeah. So that's 24 hours of footage just on a first pass. <laughs> just on a first pass is 24 sure, hours of footage. Sure. So we film a wedding on a Saturday, three cameras, and we get there at 10 a.m. And we are filming the bride getting ready and mm-hmm. getting her hair done and doing the makeup. There's a different team in the groom's bedroom and they're filming the groom. That's uh, con- that's concurring hours yeah. of footage. Then there's the first look and the photos and the ceremony and the reception and the speeches and the it's hours and hours and, and hours. The first of dance, all that oh, good the stuff. Oh, the first dance, after the bouquet party. toss, the after party, the dancing. Oh, there's a moment, and that's the thing. When you're a wedding videographer, the thing about weddings is that they only happen once, and if you miss it, never happening again. Mm-hmm. So. The whole wedding's over and everyone's kind of dancing and hanging out. And there's a, there's a moment where the bride's grandmother is dancing with the flower girl. And you're like, got to get that. Mm-hmm. Literally always attentive, always looking, yeah. always watching, finding those moments, fly on the wall, capturing those moments. So that's Saturday. You get back to the office on Monday and you start editing that footage. It's going to be a week just yeah. to watch it all. Yeah. And now we're cutting a trailer, which is, you know, a three-minute... Sizzle. Sizzle of your wedding. And that's the first thing That's the first thing we get out. Mm-hmm. Get them stoked. Get them stoked. Get them excited. You paid us so much money. Here's a little three-minute Yeah, because I've seen, I've seen some teams, when you pay them the big bucks, they'll currently edit a sizzle to show at the end of the wedding. I have done that. 
I have. I, have, I don't know how that works. I've done a lifetime edit. It's a. It's a beginning of the day ceremony edit. Literally, <laughs> I'm having like PTSD flashbacks. <laughs> Literally sitting in. They put me in like a tiny room, where I had all my hard drives and my laptop. Someone is running. You're running like, hard, like you're, like, you're, do, you're doing DIT over there. They're yeah. running cards to me, mm-hmm. all day, so I can dump, process literally grab a clip here and there, put it together, throw a track of music under it, export it, render it and export it mm-hmm. so that they can show it before dinner. Yeah. Oh, like, yes, that's that's a rare part of it. Most of the time, it's, we're going to come with three cameras, we're going to mm-hmm. stay all day, we're going to film everything your heart could desire, we're going to give you a three-minute trailer, we're going to give you a... 40 to 60 minute full film. day yeah yeah some packages also include Feature. a full raw like they just get all the raw footage yeah. which like you're never going to watch that you don't want you're that. not even going to watch the video the 60 minute video you're going to watch once i have a lot that. of feelings about the wedding industry yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, i'm curious i'm curious i've worked in it a long time um <laughs> but yeah so i i when I say I worked as a wedding videographer, I really was an editor. Mm-hmm. Five days a week was editing. Mm-hmm. One day a week was filming. Three plus yeah. years later, I was like, so you had every wedding starts to seem the same. Every couple starts to look the same. Every story starts to sound the same. All the music is the same. I want to detour and come back, yeah. potentially. Uh, how... So when did you get married? I'm getting married. Okay. Later this year. All right. How is that? I'm not having a wedding. (laughs) I mean, literally. (laughs) I worked in the wedding industry. We are renting a house with our 10 closest family members Mm -hmm. uh, on the beach. So is it... it We're not having a wedding. Because... And, I think weddings. And, and, and there's no issue. Like, is the family upset or? How? Um, no, I don't think so. I hope not. So, <laughs> so wh- we're doing a little ceremony. We sure. we will do a little ceremony, mm-hmm. but it's like it's the pared down nice. Con- I I have hour. no interest in being the, being the, being the lead morning, actor. We're going to spend the morning doing the makeup and doing the hair, and then we're all getting pictures, and everyone that has the bridesmaids are wearing the certain color and the flowers and. Then we're going to do a first look, and then the ceremony has to go this particular way, and then I have to have a dance with my dad, and then you have to have a dance with your mom, and then we're going to cut the cake. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no interest in any of that. No shame to anyone that wants a wedding like that. Mm-hmm. When you work in the wedding industry, and it really is an industry, all told, I worked in the wedding industry in one way or another for like nine years. Because I almost no feel, interest. I almost no feel like just coming from the filmmaker side too. It feels like a similar thing to where, where I'm like, you've seen behind the curtain a little bit of the wedding, or, yeah, or? of the and the film too. Like that mystical, magical, like oh my god, I wonder how they did this. You know, mm-hmm. and it loses a little bit of the charm of its magic mm-hmm. because you've seen the inside of it. And now, when you want to make a film. Rather than thinking of this like magical, grandiose, like, oh my God, it'll be so amazing and beautiful. You're thinking like, oh my like God, I need, how am I going to pay for it? How am I going to do it? Mm-hmm. I need to make sure these people are here for this amount of time. Well, if I don't get this permit for this day, then I'm like, you've opened up that, that mm-hmm. black box a little bit. 
and now filmmaking is less of like a magical thing and more of like a job. That's how I feel about weddings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I can see <laughs> and that. And films. So when you, okay, so you switched to wedding planning. I switched to and wedding planning. And that, that kind of brought back a little bit of the... Uh, it's producing. You're making their yeah. lives easier. Yeah. And I'm doing what I'm good at, which is organizing and mm-hmm. scheduling and budgeting. And again, throughout this how, whole thing, still producing films on the side. How involved is that process? Like, oh, is boy. it being that, let's say the, the wedding videographer side, you said it's like a, it's a full week thing. Planner, it's I feel a year. like would be a year. It's a year. We, we, I feel like normally get a call like if you're calling us for a wedding that is less than a year away i will also caveat this by saying that the event to the wedding planner that i worked for mm-hmm. was, was a, a very high end that's what i was going to ask very yeah. high end it has to be for that kind of yes lead up. very high end so this was not just like oh we're going to have some friends over and do a wedding like can, we did big what is can what's the price range of a high end uh, like 100 to 250 okay uh like that's a feature. It's a big. That's a nice yeah. indie feature. It's a it's a big Shot amount, a and you know it, it would be, a hmm. uh, hundred, two hundred, three hundred guests, uh, and we're talking one day. Like this is you know sometimes mm-hmm. you have a little rehearsal. Which is before. which is why it's tricky, because yeah, it's, it's all gonna happen on that day. Okay. Same as a film. So why do you need a year? So you need a year because venues book up really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, in that price range in Boston, I mean, I was working in Boston, uh, you know, there's a handful of really nice venues that would accommodate that type of event. Uh, photographers start to book up really fast. Bands start to book up really fast. Hmm. It's not a huge market. It's Boston. It's not Los Angeles. I've never been, I've never been to Boston. So. It's, um, it's not New of, York. I just think of the... Patriots are in Boston. Oh, yeah. Red Sox and the Patriots. Uh, it's not Los Angeles and it's not New York. It's mm-hmm. a smaller town. Not a small town by any means, but like in, in terms of the big cities of the world, Boston is not I a big if one. It's, I wonder if it's Reno sized. I don't I know. know. <laughs> I'm so bad <laughs> with like city sure. sizes. Okay. But okay. It's, it's, all, a, it's all I'll a, say is like nice there's limited, there are resources. five or six fantastic high-end wedding venues. There are five or six fantastic high-end wedding photographers. There are five or six fantastic high-end wedding mm-hmm. bands. Mm-hmm. So, and I always, I, I, I now at like at my age and my friends being their age, I'm getting married. A lot of my friends are getting married. They'll usually call me and be like, what do I do? And I'll say, you got to book your venue. You got to book your band and you got to book for your photographer. Mm-hmm. And once you do those three things, you can, call me again in six months because those things are the things that are going to sell out and book up for the scale of event that we were talking about i mean the decor and i'm not just talking flowers i'm talking like structures mm-hmm. some production like it's a production, production design it's a big it's it's production design to the nth degree because i'm not just production designing this shot I'm production designing you're, a ballroom. You're building a full set, yeah. And a cocktail hour and a ceremony space and the flowers mm-hmm. and the statues and the archways and the sculptures. And hmm. it's very, very personal, obviously. It's a wedding. 
there's a lot of emotion involved. So it's not just like, let's do this thing. Like the stakes are really, really high emotionally for the people involved. Mm-hmm. I would argue like it can be that way also for directors sometimes. Like this is their baby. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big is, lead up. It's a big ramp to take off. It's a lot of emotion. Off. You've been working so hard. You've been waiting so long. You've been dreaming of this day since you were little. That adds a... Mm-hmm. Look, that ratchets up the intensity a little bit. Um, so we would often, it would often be a, f- a full year mm-hmm. of work. And to be fair, the first two or three or four months are pretty light. We're, we're getting the big pieces in place, but we're not worrying too much about little details. As you get closer and closer and closer, mm-hmm. now we're literally talking about exactly the type of thing that's going to be on the menu and exactly what time it's going to be served and how it's going to be served and what time it's coming out. We're going to do the dance and then the meal and then another dance and then like the closer you get, the, the more granular you get. And then exactly the and, same as you do on a film set. Yeah, and then you're there on the day too, and right? Then you're there yeah, on the like day you're kind of just like a line producer. So I have my full schedule for the day. Mm-hmm. I have all the contact information for all the vendors. I have budget doesn't matter day of anymore. Similar to a film set, I would say on a film set there's a lot, a lot more petty cash flying around. On a film set, it could be like, oh my god, we need a pack of AAA batteries. Here's 50 bucks to go get batteries. That Mm -hmm. will almost never happen at a wedding. Um, Day of, you're not really spending any money. All the money has already been paid. But uh, I am there day of, full schedule, full vendor list, full day of setup, sometimes two days before of setup. I kind of imagine you, imagining you like in a... uh... Like in a security room with the, with the monitors. <laughs> oh, and, I wish. And you've got you've got your PAs running around. I do have a headset. I did not have a room of monitors, though that would have made my life. And you're a like, she's leaving. Go, go grab her. Go, like, go, 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 go. <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie The Wedding Planner, it's like that. Uh-huh. She's like, like I have your clipboard. You know all the main players: the bride, the groom, the parents of mm-hmm. them, the bridesmaids, who is who, who needs to be here at what time, vendors. And when I say vendors, I mean caterers, photographers, um, mm-hmm. people doing, uh, in addition to weddings, I also did a lot of bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, okay. which brings other things like games and entertainment and a lot of like kids stuff into the mix. I always like to say, and this is true of both event planning and film making, as a producer, if I have done my job well, mm-hmm then that day should be really easy. Mm-hmm. That never happens. Mm-hmm. But if I have done my job well, <laughs> then if you're, like, as a producer, if you've done everything well, that day should, should go really smoothly. Mm-hmm. Stuff happens. Fires start. Something happens. Someone's sick. Someone fell. Someone's late. Food's not here. Yeah. Light is broken stuff happens but as an event planner and as a film producer my stress should be the days and weeks leading up to it and if everything if I did my job well I should be able to just stand back and watch everything happen because everyone knows where they need to be when they need to be there Mm -hmm. and what they need to do that's literally never happened once but that's like the dream gotten close we've gotten really close I've gotten uh, not so much on film sets. I think film sets have a little bit more chaos. Because of the artistic element? Because of the artistic element, because 
I don't know why. That's actually a really it's good question. Just, uh, egos. There's something, but there's a lot of egos on weddings. <laughs> Yeah. Don't don't be mistaken. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's some I don't know what the element is. I think it's that on a film set there's um flexibility. Meaning like mm -hmm. we could take this shot once or we could take it 50 times and it's kind of up to you. Like whether this shot takes an hour or 5 hours is a little more flexible. It shouldn't be. It's a little more yeah. flexible than the ceremony is going to be 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Well, it's helpful. And after the ceremony, we're going to have dinner. Because it's helpful when it's only one day. Like, that's it's the only issue. One day. That's the issue with the film right, set. Right, we can get it tomorrow. Right. Oh, we're running we'll, late. We didn't make our we, day today. We can find more money. We could. We could we'll work. fix it in post. <laughs> we'll figure it out later. Like, there's, there's that type of flexibility on a film set, which I yeah. think makes for more chaos mm -hmm. than a wedding which I have gotten very, very close to literally standing there and just watching everything happen exactly the way that I mm -hmm. planned it to happen. Mm -hmm. And a guest will come up to you and say, oh, oh my God, I had a woman come up to me once who handed me, <laughs> she handed me a, a, a card, it looked like a business card, that had a full list of everything she was allergic to. Mm -hmm. A grown woman, and she said, hi, it was a buffet-style meal. There was a kid's table with a bunch of food. There was an adult's table with a bunch of food. She handed me a card and said, here's all the things I can't eat. What are you going to give me for dinner? And I was like, hang on just a second. Take it back to the chef and say, what do we got? What do we got? And he makes her a plate and I bring it out to her. There, there's no planning for that. That happens. Mm -hmm. Stuff happens. It's not like an easy fix. It was a very easy fix. Um, I've gotten much, much closer to a hands-off wedding than I've ever gotten to a hands-off film. I've never had a film set that, like, no, no, no. just you're, ran you're, itself. You're pivotal. Never. Yeah. And it, I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah. That's fine. I like it. <laughs> so we talked about how you're not going to be going through the wedding stuff yourself. <gasps> Do you, how are you with re responding to wedding invites? Is that a, like, hey, be my bridesmaid? You're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> well, those are two different things. An invitation <laughs> is lovely. A bridesmaid is a responsibility. Mm -hmm. I almost, almost ironically love attending weddings mm. because it's not my problem. Weddings are lovely. Weddings are fun to show up as a guest and say, sit here and here's some food and now dance. Oh my God, I'll do that all day long. Drink, yeah, all that good stuff. It's so much fun. Okay. To show up as a wedding as a guest is so much fun. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Right? Like, right. why not? I, for, for some reason, if my, if, yeah, it's surprising. I answer. certainly, um, <laughs> I might judge you a little bit. Because I know the inner, because one, because I've seen so many of them. You might judge who? Uh, I might judge the wedding a little bit. <laughs> everybody. I might be like, oh, interesting. It's weird that they yeah, had cocktails yeah, yeah. in that room. Like, it would have been better if they that had cocktails. That makes it fun. It's fun, right? Yeah. Just like filmmakers judge films <laughs> yeah. and film sets. If you're a grip, let me maybe put it a different way. Let's say you're normally a DP and you get hired as a gaffer. Or a grip. Sure, sure, sure. Or an AC. You're normally in a position of creative power, and now you're just kind of, you know, 
You're a grip. You're 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 a hand. You're yeah, there to just help. Yeah. Part of you is really relieved because you're like, oh my god, this isn't my problem. I'm just here to help. Part of you is going to be a little judgy. If I was a DP, I probably would have done it a little bit differently. I think I would have put the camera over there. Mm -hmm. I, you can't help it. I think when I show up at weddings, part of me is like, oh, it's interesting that they had the ceremony over there. Like, they really should have done the the cocktails before you're, you're like, the dang, wedding. You're like, dang, this is perfect. Nothing's <laughs> going wrong at all. <laughs> Never. I always have something to say. It's it's. I'm always able to have fun. Like I said, once you've mm -hmm. opened up that black box a little bit and looked inside, you can't yeah. you can't close it again. I know exactly what's happening. I see the frantic woman in the corner with her headset on, and I know what. Yeah, I know what, what she's talking doing. About. I know yeah. what you're talking about. It's you can't turn it off. Mm -hmm. But doesn't mean I still don't enjoy it. For sure. <laughs> have fun. Relax a little bit. Have a drink. I'm trying to think about. So okay, so you went from. We'll just continue on the timeline. Oh boy, I moved. And you moved. I moved. That's why I left event planning, is I came to LA. And I had no interest in being an event planner hmm. in you, LA. All right, so you moved to Los Angeles. Yeah. Your boyfriend yeah. was also in film. Still does Still film. is, yeah. You continue doing film. You jumped back into Still continue, continue doing film. film? Yeah, so, so film was always kind of an underlying, all of the stuff I'm talking about, I was in school, I was a videographer, I was a wedding planner. Film was always in the background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When I could find time helping someone with their project, my fiancé, then boyfriend, now fiancé, soon to be husband, um, is a director, DP. So I'm a producer, he's a director. It makes a lot of sense for us to work together. We did years and years of essentially commercial productions together where mm. we would pitch and bid out branded shorts for companies. He would direct. I would produce. That was so, our So is he gig. a director slash DP on the same set? Or I guess it depends. Depends on the set. Depends on the set. I think that director he first or uh, uh, first? trained as a DP, DP first. Okay. Um, but wanting to do more directing. Mm -hmm. um, definitely trained as a DP. Um, so sometimes he would be DP director. Sometimes he would realize that that's a lot and he would hire out a DP. Um, normally when it was these branded commercials, we were the production company essentially. He actually does have a production company. Um, he would direct and learned pretty quickly that it was easier to hire out a DP than to try to do everything yeah, yeah, yeah. himself. So I would, I mean, throughout this whole, all of this timeline, essentially since I graduated school until I started working at Shift, I would be producing, mostly for him, also for other friends, other projects, a little bit of freelance. Mm -hmm. I wasn't applying for producing jobs every single day because I had other steady work going on, but I would be available as a producer mm -hmm. for the fun stuff, for the fun stuff that I actually wanted to do and was excited about. So 
even through my, my tenure as a wedding planner, I was still producing in Boston with him on the side, any projects that were happening. He then said, I need to go to LA. Mm -hmm. He was working as a DP in Boston and after five or six years was like, you kind of hit your, you kind of hit your ceiling. Boston has more work than you would think. It's a lot of corporate work. Yeah. It's a lot of commercial work. It's a Sounds lot of like interviews. Reno. Sounds like Reno. Sounds like Boston <laughs> Reno might be long lost sister cities. Um, Minus the cool sports teams. Yeah. It, uh, he hit his ceiling in Boston. I was working as a wedding planner. He was working as a DP. Mm -hmm. I just mix it up. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to go to LA. Do you want to go to LA? And I was like, Sure. <laughs> Why not? I, I'd been working as a wedding planner for five or six years. I was I was starting to feel my own kind of burnout mm -hmm. in that industry. Same with the videography where it's like, how many hundreds of weddings can I go to before I feel like I need to do something else? Um, I had kind of a decision to make on whether I wanted to continue being an event planner or whether I wanted to go back to kind of full-time film making and I pretty quickly decided that wedding planning in Los Angeles was not <laughs> what I wanted to do. Um, but you tested it out or? I didn't, I, I, I just okay. I just decided that that just wasn't, I was gonna make a full transition. Move out of Boston, move into a new city and that would be the end of my mm -hmm. wedding planning. I will also say really similar to film work working in the event industry, working in the wedding industry, it's a lot about networks. It's a lot about who you know, mm -hmm. vendors you know, people mm -hmm. you know, who to call for certain jobs, starting fresh in a new city is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. um, so I had built up five, six, seven years worth of relationships in Boston of event people. Mm -hmm. And the thought of starting from scratch in LA, I knew the market in LA would be really different. I knew it would be a lot bigger. I knew the scope and scale of the events would be overwhelming. And I just decided that that would be the end of my, that Boston would be my wedding mm -hmm. career. And that when I moved to LA, mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would do film work. So moving here five plus years ago, um, I worked in film. I, again, my fiance and I produced a lot of our own stuff. We did a lot of commercial productions, worked on a bunch of music videos, short films, did some freelancing here and there, mm -hmm. Mandy.com. Yeah, and you were able to stay in your producer chair primarily? I was able or? to stay pr primarily in my producer chair. A couple, you know, take jobs as PAs when yeah, and yeah. if needed. Mm -hmm. um, but because I knew a lot of people here, they could pull me onto sets as a production coordinator or a production manager or... Uh, a line producer as needed, working again with my fiance where we were kind of self-producing a lot of commercial content meant that we could just continue doing the work we were already doing in Boston. We knew people here uh, and it was a really smooth transition. So I spent the first year or two here in LA just freelancing. Um, and then I, <laughs> the tumultuous lifestyle of a freelancer started to get to me a little bit. Mm -hmm. I felt the need for something a little more steady, for something a little more mm -hmm. controlled. 
and I actually started working at a documentary studio mm. here in LA. Okay. Small indie documentary studio that was looking for a essentially studio manager, someone to manage. They had a lot of projects in production and post-production, a lot of development they were doing, pitch decks they were building, um, fundraising for mm -hmm. a lot of their documentary films. And I essentially, it was an office job, but I managed their, uh, essentially their, their documentary operations. Mm -hmm. So managing editors who were working on post-production, managing fields out in the, uh, you know, out in the world who were shooting footage for new projects, uh, managing the studio a little bit. We had a little office in Burbank, making sure all the projects were happening, managing our social media accounts and our newsletters and our outreach. Um, so that was a, a, a random little yeah. foray of, yeah. of about a year or two. Um, again, same type mm. of work, producing, managing, overseeing a lot mm -hmm. of the teams, but working in documentary. And you were, you were... You said you're managing yeah. the size, so you weren't like. I was in the office. Yeah, you weren't on the creative side no. of helping decide what documentaries are green. Uh, I the the team was small enough that that we all kind okay. of were. Huh. You know, it, it was a very small indie documentary. How does how does that work? Like what? <laughs> what? Because you come up with an idea for a documentary. Sure, that's easy. You, the the company that I worked for, while they were small, they had produced enough documentaries that they had funding sources. They had mm -hmm. enough connections that they could say. And and the thing about documentary is, which is why we don't support documentary in our grant. Documentary is probably the easiest type of film to get funding for. Hmm. Um especially if it speaks to a social issue. A lot of the documentaries we made were about uh, the refugee crisis, were about uh, the environmental impact of the fashion industry. Um, we made documentaries about the crumbling education system in the mm -hmm. United States. Mm -hmm. When you're making films like that, it's easier to find someone willing to give you money for it because it's important. It's important that we're talking about these things. It's important that we're talking about sure, refugees that have been sure. living in a camp in Kenya for the last 15 years. Documentary is cheap to produce. It is cheap to edit. And it's impactful. So when I joined that company, they already hmm. had several successful documentaries under their belt. And they had people they could call to say, hey, we need 15,000. We're going to do this really great documentary about uh, prison reform. Mm -hmm. And that was something that they could do. So I, it really was an office operational job where I was the one that knew, I had the balls in the air. This team needs to go out because we have an interview on Tuesday with this person. We need a camera and a sound guy for six hours. Let me make sure we get that. In the meantime, I've got two editors uh, digesting footage from this shoot we did two weeks ago. Let me make sure we're staying on top of those. We're developing new ideas and new stories all the time. We're applying to a couple of grants. We are calling funders. We are managing our social media pages. We're trying to get people to buy the DVDs and, and buy the uh, video on demand films. Um, it was a small enough operation that I, I was really managing kind mm -hmm. of all the pieces 
Yeah, some of no, because I, I, during this during lockdown and stuff, one thing that I found myself watching more than, like, I was having a hard time watching creative narrative stuff. I'm like, this is yes. like I don't have bandwidth for this. <laughs> yeah. I preferred like just watching a topic and documentary was something I was kind of watching more yeah. of, and I always wonder. Because everybody's got documentary ideas, and I'm like, but there's so much time. And like from my perspective, I don't know, being that I've never done one, I'm just like, as a solo self-producing documentaryist, <laughs> documentary filmmaker, uh, I imagine you follow a subject for X amount of time, and hopefully something interesting happens, and you could cut around. Like I don't, I don't even. Documentary know. is expensive in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is not expensive in any other way. Because the crew is small. The crew is small. The equipment is basic. Um, it is a time intensive. So if you're paying someone to produce a documentary, you're probably going to pay them a lot. Mm-hmm. If you're self-producing a documentary, it's just time. I it's mean, time. Which... And I'm not saying time. Time is valuable. valuable. <laughs> uh, but yeah. A, a, in terms of all of the film disciplines. If you've got a camera and time, mm-hmm. yeah, I ha- you can make a documentary. <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend send me, she was experimenting with, um, I think, like, just editing and directing in general. And she was, like, she followed her roommate around for, like, a day, a day in the life of kind yeah. of thing. Because in Los Angeles, to survive, you normally are rooming with people. Oh, yeah. And... I think one of her roommates was some older gentleman that works in industry. They they never talk or anything. Yeah. But she's like, I'm just gonna like. It's interesting. Get to know who this guy is yeah. and go to work with him and like follow him in the. Uh, and she sent it to me, and just wanted some thoughts yeah. on how is how does it play? And I'm like, that was actually like really interesting. I don't know why I was so interested in this guy That's the doing nothing. The beauty of documentary, like if if you, the fact that she as a filmmaker, was interested in this person. That's the bar. That means that you as a viewer mm-hmm. are probably also going to be interested yeah, in this yeah. person. Because I remember telling her and she her feedback was like, I guess she sent it to a few people and they were they were all like thought it was pretty good yeah. and she's like, "Well, I didn't like I didn't think it was good at all." Well, I think it's just the the filmmaker side of the Of course, you're hard on yourself. Like, I could have done so much better. Of course, but, I'm but like, no that guy was cool. To just follow your curiosity, I wonder what this guy's life is like. Mhm. It's. It, I, I also. I, I. I. don't want to discount that documentary, is, a difficult. I'm not like anybody can make a documentary. It's easy, stupid. Like yeah, just per, get a camera. Per perspective it is an is, art form yeah. in itself. Mm-hmm. It is. It is a whole can of worms. But, if you're talking about just like producibility, producibility, uh, ease cheap like like you don't you don't need a crew you need a, a camera mm-hmm. and maybe someone with a microphone and and a, yeah. and, a, and a curiosity in your own head that's like that's interesting mm-hmm. let me spend three days following this person let me yeah. sit down for a conversation with this person because i think it's interesting and maybe no one else will think it's interesting but i do and it's like congratulations mm-hmm. you've got the fodder for a documentary yeah, film. Yeah, I, I just watched documentary on Hulu about Greta Greta Thun, yeah, Thunberg, the environmentalist. Yeah, and she uh, 
Like, like, I wonder, I don't know if you have any insight on this at all. It's just a random question. But, <laughs> but like, for instance, the documentary starts with her. She would do the, she would strike from school. She's like, I'm going on strike from yeah. school until people start listening about this whole thing, yeah. the environment. And she had her sign. And then eventually that like made the news yeah. and then she got called in for this bigger talk and then the bigger talk and then the UN eventually and like how did somebody find her prior to her doing going like they I, got so lucky have you seen or heard of there's a documentary on Netflix called knock down the house mm-hmm. about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez the senator yeah, yeah, yeah. in New York AOC AOC this documentary film I mean literally followed her when she was a bartender she had just barely maybe decided to run. Like dipped in the politics, yeah. Yeah, and they were following five, four or five women who were first-time politicians deciding to get involved in their, or she's a congresswoman, not a senator. She's a congresswoman. Sorry. Um, but they were following four or five women all across the country who were deciding to get into politics. Mm. It just so happened that one of them was AOC. At the time, she was a bartender in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And she won. And now she is like one of the most famous people in the world. They didn't know that. They got lucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got lucky. How long did they follow her for? They followed her through, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a year through kind of the, like, her. She must have decided to run or else they wouldn't have been following just a random bartender. She was deciding to run. It was a contentious district. It was someone who the the congressman who was in that district had been the congressman for 40 years. So it was an interesting, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. They said, this is interesting. This young Latina woman who has never had any political experience, who is a bartender, is running up against this five-term congressman. It's David and Goliath. system, man. That's an interesting story. Yeah. It would have been an interesting story even if she wasn't AOC. It just so happens that she Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now the other four women they were following, none of them won. And and nobody has heard of them. Yeah, so it's kind of like the... But they happen to find the one. that's the documentary way, right? It's it's kind of a gamble. You don't know what you're going to get. And it's a game of volumes. Like... I think the most difficult part of documentary is even like that film you were talking about with your friend, like she followed him for a whole day. I would venture to guess she's got like nine hours of footage and she made like a seven minute, like a seven minute yeah. short. Mm-hmm. And when you're following a subject for years and years and years and you're making a 90 minute film out of it, like that's... You gotta That's have, the beauty of documentary. You gotta have organizational skills and keep up with it. Is how I imagine Just it would go. Just digesting all of that, yeah. like ingesting physically and like emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm. Oh. There's a ghost. Um, that's a lot. That's yeah. that's the. I, I've talked to a lot of documentary editors mm-hmm. who. Unlike most other types of editors, it are really like storytellers in a really specific way. Mm-hmm. Like you find the film in the edit, in documentary, in a way that you don't. Yeah, yeah. In, in any other type of. I imagine. You're so. like I've got, 
700 hours of footage, and I guess I'm just going to find... And you have an idea yeah, of kind of where you want the speeds to be and what you kind of want the structure to be, but hmm. it's a whole thing. So in that role, I was not the one physically editing, nor was I the one physically shooting. I was the one managing yeah, yeah, the yeah, projects, yeah. managing the team, managing the timelines, making sure we know where we need to go and where we need to be and who needs to be where, as I do at all my jobs. <laughs> That's what you do. In different, in different ways. And I did that for a year and a half, almost two years. And um, this opportunity at Shift presented itself. And, and literally a friend of mine said, hey, I, I work with this company um, who is looking for someone with your background, someone that has production experience, someone that knows film, knows filmmakers, and can really produce this program mm -hmm. from the ground up. So Shift, I mean, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to Shift for believing in me enough to say build this build this and i said i am a filmmaker i have worked in the film industry for the last 15 years i've never built a grant and they said do you mm -hmm. think you can do it and i said yeah and they were like all right here's your budget and the first grant launched i mean two two and a half months after mm -hmm. i got hired the first grant was was up we That's launched quick. it right away That's it was very quick, quick. Whoa. And three years later, we're still, still doing still it. Still going at it. <laughs> Knock on everything. Yes. Okay. Um, I was going to ask about, I don't know if I have anything left on grants. We're, 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 <laughs> so pre much, we're pretty much there. So much grant insight. Let me just double check. Because you get on the, on the guest's website, you have your suggested questions. Ooh. <laughs> But we pretty much talked about all of them. What did I say? <laughs> uh, oh, this one. This is a nice little advice segment. Ooh. And it's called... There's... Ask Grace. So it's Grace. <laughs> Dear Grace. Dear Grace. <laughs> how do I get started in the film industry? Ooh. Do I go to film school? Do I go to Boston? You must do, do to exactly LA? everything that I've said. You must do exactly that. <laughs> you must go to Emerson College, and then you must become a videographer. No, you I'm must, just... <laughs> you must specialize in directing, realize... You realize you don't want to be a director, <laughs> and then you must plan weddings for five years. Um, here's the thing about the film industry. Unlike most other career paths, you must do <laughs> you must learn by doing i don't want to speak for everybody most people i know myself included learned much 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 more about filmmaking by being on set than by taking any class mm -hmm. about filmmaking um there really is no substitute for doing the beautiful thing about film is that you can know nothing and make a real good PA. The bar to entry to literally just be on a film set is very low. Are you smart enough? Do you have a car? Are you a helpful, nice person? Congratulations you can be on a film set. Mm -hmm. And I mean, really, 
one day on a film set, just watching, just being there, just observing, oh, I see how these people work together. Oh, I understand now how this, the mechanics of this work is more valuable than like a year's worth of lectures about film theory Mm-hmm. Than, than mm-hmm. you would ever get at school. I'm not saying film school is not valuable. I went to film school. Everyone I know went to film school. It's important to understand the context of what you're I, doing. I didn't go to film school. I think a lot of people didn't go to film school. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think that... Sure. Make it work. Uh, Either way. The most valuable experiences I had at film school were, were the projects I did on the weekends. The parties. Were the parties. <laughs> And the projects. Um, did I learn some stuff in class? Sure. Did we learn about French New Wave? Sure. Do you need to learn about French New Wave to be a filmmaker? No. If you really wanted to learn about French New Wave, could you learn about it on the internet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all of this is to say that starting out in the film industry means being on set even if you are the guy getting coffee. Because you will meet people, you will learn things, they will call you back, you do a good job, they'll call you back again, you'll meet somebody else, they'll put you in a new position, you climb the ranks, you figure it out, you now have experience. If, if your eventual goal is to make your own stuff and be kind of a self-produced mm-hmm. filmmaker, you gotta, you gotta just be there. You gotta mm-hmm. be able to see it, you gotta understand how it works. Um, I think there is no substitute for doing that. Yeah, because I guess I always kind of, because uh, I get to interact with filmmakers, like new filmmakers pretty often as well, and there's the supply and demand issue mm. too with, especially in LA, everybody wants to be on set. And what, like all those Facebook groups and stuff, they're like, we need a PA. Oh, hundreds. Like, like in five minutes, there's like. Hundreds. It's, it's like, whoa, who's, yeah. get, who's getting that? Yeah. And uh, so I guess like the, 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 I don't know what the word is, but the. Problem. <laughs> <laughs> no. The ability to continue to put yourself out there, even if you're not getting the gigs. Mm-hmm. Is important because mm-hmm. when you do get your opportunity, do all the stuff that you said. Be the good listener. Be attentive. Helpful. Don't pretend to know stuff you don't know. Yeah. Ask, questions. Ask questions. Be nice. Um, be oh my nice. god, I can't tell you how much just being nice. Just be a nice person. Well, that, that's on and offset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just be nice. Just be nice. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard. It is hard. And, and the problem with filmmaking is that it is a collaborative art form. There is no such thing as a filmmaker that lives in a vacuum, um, which makes it really difficult. Because to practice your art form, you need 50 friends. Mm-hmm. And that's... Um, wow. Not necessarily. I know. I, I'm overshooting a little bit. I'm I'm exaggerating a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. But but it's not like if you're a writer, uh, you can do that by mm-hmm. yourself, and you mm-hmm. can practice your craft mm-hmm. anywhere, anytime, any day by yourself. If you're a painter, you can practice your art and practice your craft anywhere, any day, anytime by yourself. Um, if you're a director, you cannot direct 
by yourself. You just can't. You need at least one other person mm-hmm. to come with you and and help you to take your direction. To take your direction. <laughs> who are you going to direct if you're by yourself? So there's a bit of a paradox and a bit of a catch twenty two of like you can't be a filmmaker by yourself. So you need people mm-hmm. to come with you and help you. Um, and luckily, in order there, to find those people, you plenty, have to be on set. There's plenty of people out there. There's so many people While out there. While you're waiting to hear back from those things you submit. While you're waiting to hear back from the Shift Creative Fund. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Grant program. And, and I think that's probably the most frustrating thing, but also the more, most important thing is like, you just have to keep making stuff, even if it sucks. Even if it's literally like you and a friend on a Saturday afternoon with what your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Even if it's you saying, hey, I'm going to follow my neighbor around for a day because I think that's interesting and it's, it's creatively fulfilling. <laughs> my neighbor without them knowing. <laughs> oh, please, no. please Don't do get that. consent from everybody that's <laughs> participating in your film. Um, but to have the yeah, no, for sure. The courage to just be like, I want to make something today. Like, and uh, I'm going to make something. Yesterday, actually, I directed um, directed myself. Yes. Because uh, because because Instagram, this is the thing I'm exploring. Is they introduce Reels, yeah. which is similar to TikTok, which I'm avoiding. Um, but I'm like, hey, I'm going to just try, because I you know, write and direct and stuff. I'm like, I'm going to write something for myself to act that I can also direct. And I just had another person do the handheld camera yeah. and shot some stuff like that. So even... And I that's try- practice. Yeah. So like I- you're, you're practicing your craft. So no matter- And you're not like making a film necessarily. Like I think... Just having some fun. I think there's a lot of preciousness and a lot of pretentiousness around mm. film. And mm. people want to be an artist and they want, you know... And that's great, but at the end of the day, like if you're not making something, what what are you doing? You're just talking. Yeah, there's a lot of talkers. <laughs> you're just talking about it. So like, get on set as much as you can. Get on set doing whatever you can because it's a it's a social industry. It's a networking industry. That's how you're going to meet the people when you say, "Huh, I've got this film I want to make on Saturday. I wish I knew someone who had a microphone." Oh yeah. Jim, who I met on set last week, let me give him a call. Let me mm-hmm. see if he'll he'll come help me with this. Like, doesn't exist in a vacuum. Cannot exist in a vacuum. Get on set as much as you can. Meet people. Be nice. Be friendly. Network. And then when you're not on set, make stuff. Mm-hmm. Even if it's for Instagram or TikTok or nobody. Even if it's for nobody. Experience is experience. Just do it. Make some stuff. And then when the time does come, when you're actually going to make something for real, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I learned all that stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty much where we're <gasps> at. Is that a good sage piece of <laughs> advice to end well, with? Well, I mean, well, I'll segue from that into ha- I like to I like to try to have, like you're kind of saying, like having, like you're juggling a bunch of projects yeah. and you're planting a bunch of seeds. Yeah. And you're, not, you're not really sure what's going what's gonna to grow. Totally. But... Grants is an opportunity. Grants is, is an a seed to plant. Totally. And it's it's everything you do is a numbers game. Apply to 50 jobs and one of them is going to come up. Mm-hmm. Apply to 50 grants 
and one of them is maybe going to come up. Call 50 friends and say, hey, do you want to come do this thing with me? Maybe one of them will say yes. Like, don't ever put all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do they say? Diversification. Any opportunity you see, any person you meet, any job that becomes available, any idea that pops into your head, do it. Because uh, <laughs> it's a numbers game. It's a tough industry. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, we can't pretend like this is like an easy. No, no, for sure, for an sure. An easy thing to do. It's tough. And we, we have, yeah, we've got, we've got four grant opportunities this year. Um, first one coming up in February, the entire month of February will be our first kind of application window. Um, and if you miss that one or you don't mm -hmm. want to do that one, then there will be three other ones throughout the year. So those are four things you can put on your calendar to jump into in 2021. Sounds good. Yeah. So where can people go to find this stuff? Yeah. Maybe to follow you? I don't know. Totally, yeah. yeah so Shift, the Shift Creative Fund is the name of the grant. Um, the website is shift.io slash creative fund. Um, if you go to that website, there'll be all the information about the upcoming opportunities. Right at the top, there's an email bar. Put your email in there. You will then get emails from me. I will keep you updated on everything that is happening, mm. everything that is coming up, new opportunities that maybe we don't even know are happening yet. Just put your email in there and you will get um, all of the updates. But shift.io, that's where you can find shift, shift.io slash creative fund is where you can find Creative Fund. You can email creativefund at shift.io. That will go directly to me. So if you want to ask me a question or chat mm -hmm. or say hi, feel free to do that. And um, yeah, we hope to get lots of applications this year. Sweet. Support lots of filmmakers. Sounds good. All right, thanks for coming on. Thank you. So nice talking to you. I always love talking. Uh, I don't get the opportunity to talk shop very much, and it's always Sweet. a lot of fun. Great. No, it was awesome. <laughs> talk about film and, and filmmaking. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bum, 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 bum.